I'm Trevor, and welcome to Catching Up on Cinema. Uh, if you aren't familiar with the program, Catching Up on Cinema is a film analysis podcast wherein we introduce each other to films, expand our cinematic horizons, and, in essence, catch up on our cinema. So it is the month of March 2021, and it is time for our monthly Catching Up on Blu-ray episode. Uh, if you're not familiar with the format of this episode, basically what we're going to be doing is uh, referencing the lovely website, blu-ray.com, to... Uh, take a look at the upcoming physical media release calendar. Uh, so that would be DVDs, Blu-rays, and 4Ks. And along the way, we'll cite the release dates of everything we're talking about and just uh, say a little something about any titles that catch our eyes. And uh, in case you haven't noticed, I've been using a plural in regards to who's going to be talking. It's not just going to be me. Um, so in joining me in this endeavor, I have my good buddy uh, Brad from the Cinema Speak podcast. How's it going, Brad? It's going great. I have been looking forward to this all day. It's been what's been it's been getting me through my work day. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> Holy shit! Uh, that kind of day, huh? <laughs> it was just a boring day, I guess. I, you know, I spent some time on Blu-ray.com, kind of looked at what was coming out, got a little prepared. You know, good way to spend my uh, my time at work. <laughs> yeah, you know, get get paid doing research on DVDs and Blu-rays and 4Ks <laughs> and stuff, <laughs> like just on the sly. It's yeah. like, Brad, what are you doing? It's like nothing. I was I wasn't looking at criteria. Not, not totally not. <laughs> yeah, I've always got my uh, hand on the mouse for a quick switch over to some work tab or something, so nobody wonders why I'm spending all day on Blu-ray.com. Oh yeah, we all have those quick twitch reflexes now. It's it's built in for the <laughs> the work at home folks, especially me. That that would be me, but. Um, yeah, I've been looking forward to this too. Um, you mentioned before we started recording that uh, it seems like this month starts off on a slow build and then it kind of picks up. Uh, we tend to say that a lot of times uh, before we start you know, heading into the release calendar, um, so hopefully you're right on that end. But uh, yeah, so if you'd like to follow along at home, uh, dear listeners, uh, just navigate to blu-ray.com and then head to the uh, release date page. And uh, so we'll be looking at all of the release dates for March 2021. And uh, if you're not familiar with how these physical media releases generally work, uh, they tend to occur on Tuesdays of each week. Uh, however, if any off, like off format releases occur, um, they catch our eye. We'll certainly point to those. Uh, so it looks like our first proper release date for the month of March is uh, March 2nd. Uh, and right out the gate, as tends to be the way Blu-ray.com organizes these things, uh, we have a couple of 4K releases. Uh, first one being a fairly high-profile one in the form of uh, Paul W.S. Anderson's Monster Hunter from 2020. Um, this movie made theaters, did it not, Brad? I believe it did. I think it was. Uh, it might have been a VOD and theatrical at the same time, but it was in theaters, yes. Yeah, um, what what were your feelings on, on the announcement and release of this film? Because as far as I understand, um, at least among my social circle, the, the general hype level was basically non-existent for this film. Yeah, I mean, I have no connection to the gaming franchise. I mean, the only thing that had me kind of excited was the fact that it was a fairly big budgeted, you know, big film that was coming out in a year where there weren't many. And uh, and I love monsters, so I had some inherent interest in just anything with monsters. Um, it was definitely one that I was not, you know, in any sort of rush to see. Um, certainly was not going to pay any premium VOD price on this one. Was not going to waste a 
$20 for a rental on this. Um, but now that it's out, I will probably check it out. Uh, I'm sure it will be a rental, um, but uh, I don't have high expectations for it, for sure. Yeah, uh, I, I'm not even sure if I'm going to rent this one, to be honest. Um, I tend to defend Paul W.S. Anderson just a little bit. I don't think he's an especially talented filmmaker, but um, one of his movies that I do know is on the release calendar later this month, at least to, you know, for home consumption oh yeah uh is a good reason to defend him i believe i, I mm-hmm. do think it is a fairly exceptional film especially for the time in which it was made um so i think he's more talented than he generally shows um he just fell into that that deep dark trap of the resident evil franchise where he he tried to step away from it and then they brought him back and he ended up like all the fast and furious people where it's just like you're in it now you can't mm-hmm. get out and it's like yeah. why because the money is damn good because <laughs> uh, as as much as people shit on all those resident evil movies they do make a lot of money like every time they make one they make a lot of money which is why they kept making them um they're very strange films in that they have very little they bear very little resemblance to the source material uh and Towards the end, it just feels like an excuse for him to hang out with his wife on the set. <laughs> but um, he does have a sense of style. The only, the only problem is he he his sense of style seems to be trapped in like the year two thousand on the nose. Yeah, like like his his composition of action scenes and even like the framing of some of his shots feels antiquated, which is a weird thing to say about a guy who's been working, as far as I understand, since the nineties. So he's it's not like he's ancient or anything, but. Uh, just his general flavor of like action and, and aesthetics feels a little out of date like that uh, matrix-esque like leather leather bondage outfit in an action movie aesthetic has been out of date pretty much since the matrix and yet he's still doing it <laughs> um, but yeah i i don't have any personal connection to the monster hunter franchise of games uh, they like the resident evil movies are massively successful um, internationally especially uh, so it was only natural that eventually Capcom you know would do the math and say hey our other like I think actually Monster Hunter is their their single most su- successful franchise mm-hmm. in terms of games mm-hmm. uh, probably not movies but uh, in terms of games uh, yeah Monster Hunter I think is the biggest money generator um, so it was you know foregone conclusion that they'd make an attempt to branch out like maybe make an animation or a a series or something they'd do something with it Um, but i don't think it was wise to pick him to do it um and also it it's kind of amazing if you look at some of the shots from like the trailer i don't know if you got this vibe like brad did, did you get any like transformers one vibes from the trailer for this movie I could see that a little bit, yeah. I, I think I've only seen the trailer the one time, but I, I could see where you're coming from with that. I was getting a lot of Tyrese and, and what, Josh Tumail yeah. dicking around in the desert vibes. Yep. Yep. <laughs> um, but what's so bizarre about that to me is how, how barren the landscapes were in all the trailer shots. Because, I mean, your trailer shot's supposed to show off, like, the majesty of, of the experience. And the Monster Hunter games... Um, I've never played them, but I do own a couple of art books, um, just like design material handbooks and stuff for the series because they they have amazing designs and amazing music too, which I seriously doubt they referenced in this movie. But just from like an aesthetic standpoint, the landscapes being so barren really jumped out at me because that part of what makes the Monster Hunter series of games so popular, I think, is that it has that like avatar appeal to it. 
where it's like the landscapes and the character designs are like otherworldly beautiful where it's like oh man it would be kind of cool just to hang out in this world for a while even if it's just a purely virtual experience but this movie seemed totally averse to living up to that it's like huh, let's let's set the monster action the iconic monster action in the most boring landscapes we can imagine i.e a blank desert <laughs> like yeah no put it in the fucking jungle or you know cgi that shit <laughs> i wonder if it's the kind of thing where they were like we're gonna have a sequel so we got to save all those luscious landscapes for the sequel that's inevitably coming I uh, more than likely it was just like we'll give you money for the monsters and nothing else <laughs> like that that would be my guess but yeah there is there is you know such a thing as not not wanting to entirely blow your wad the first time out like like hold something back so that you can give give the like the the true blue fans like a reason to come back where it's like if you give them every cool monster from the games in one go then what is, what's left for the sequel? <laughs> I don't know, man. I feel like that's I hear that all the time. That's a rookie mistake where they save it for the sequel. They they hold on to their wad. No, you got to blow that wad to start, and then you have to build on that wad that was blown and really build something unique out of that. You know, you're not just you. You used all the cool stuff that's already there. That's what everybody expects. Now, where do you go? Now you got to get creative, and that's what I think people. That's what franchises need to do think that's the most times i've ever heard the use the word wad used in a sentence hey, you said it first you said it first i wasn't gonna say oh yeah and i had a, a big big shit-eating grin on my face when i did because wad <laughs> is a lovely word it needs to be used more often that's especially in discussion of blu-rays <laughs> but yeah uh, long story short as brad put it use it or lose it <laughs> but um yeah i i don't even know that i'm gonna rent this one uh CGI monster stuff doesn't appeal to me as much as like practical monster stuff but still monster stuff so maybe if I get real bored or maybe if it appears on like one of the streaming services I already have maybe then I'll watch it for free but uh moving along Brad uh you want to help me out here Uh, we have Steven Spielberg's War of the Worlds uh this is not debuting on 4k correct this yeah, is just like a steelbook or something. Yeah, it's just I think it's a Best Buy exclusive steelbook. Um, I think they said, is it for the fifteenth anniversary or something? Or no, I think the actual release was for the fifteenth anniversary. I don't even know why this is coming out now. Um, but yeah, just an exclusive steelbook. Nothing, nothing real new. I don't think. Maybe maybe they're trying to do some sort of political spin, and they're trying to make people less upset about covid where it's like hey covid could save us someday that's well you know (laughs) maybe from the aliens (laughs) (laughs) i don't know yeah normally normally these like like older movies or slightly older releases um being put out on a new format or something usually there's something occurring in the zeitgeist uh around the release of it this one I, i i'm scratching my head i can't think of any reason but i do like this movie i do too uh and i I actually would like an excuse to rewatch it. I don't. I don't think I would buy this uh, steel book, but um, I, I do like this movie, and I, I do want an excuse to rewatch it. Um, beside that, we have "She's the Man," uh, starring Amanda Bynes, who is sometimes mentally healthy, and <laughs> I'm not sure how she's doing these days. But um, and Tanning Manham, uh, aka Channing Tatum. Uh, the only reason I singled this out, um, I. Th- I think this is not the first time this is appearing on Blu-ray. The only reason I point this out is this was a movie that my girlfriend made me made me 
watch um, very early on when we were dating because um, it was apparently one that she got a lot of laughs out of. I, I can confirm it's not that bad. Um, I actually got a few chuckles out of it. It's all right. Uh, it is yeah. from 2006, though, and, and it feels it. Yeah, um, I've never seen it, but I've actually heard some pretty pretty good things about it that it's, you know, better than, like you said, better than you would maybe expect. Um, so I, I definitely would be curious to see this, uh, but yeah. Yeah. Um, and beside that, though, uh, and now for something completely different, um, we have a trio of releases uh, from a disc publisher that you, Brad, uh, tend to highlight every now and again. I still have yet to purchase one of their products, but we have Cthulhu Mansion from 1992, Dark Tower from 1989, and Satan's Blood from 1978. Uh, and Brad, you want to let the folks at home know who pr- printed these lovely discs? All from Twilight Time. Um, no, I'm just kidding. Um, uh, it's Vinegar Syndrome. <laughs> Not going to make that mistake again. Uh, check out our last Tales from the Shelf episode where I totally embarrassed myself there. Um, yeah, these are all coming through uh, through Vinegar Syndrome. Um and uh, I don't know too much about any of them. I kind of looked into Cthulhu Mansion just because I like the uh, the title and it seems like something I'd be interested in. But, uh, you know, with these Vinegar Syndrome releases right now, we're pretty close to the halfway to Black Friday sale that Vinegar Syndrome does. They're kind of like kind of like Criterion where they do a, uh, I guess you'd call it a biannual sale. Twice a year they have a big sale, um, the Black Friday sale and the halfway to Black Friday sale in May. Um, so I might uh, potentially do some research and maybe pick up one of these in that sale. Uh, I, I don't know, but, uh, you know, we're still about a month, month and a half away from it, but it's it's going to be here before you know it. Yeah, uh, that's, that's a good thing to keep in mind that they have a sale up and coming. Um, yeah, I, I don't know which one of these uh, seems most appealing to me. Probably Cthulhu Mansion, just because the cover art um, and the title, obviously. But uh, 1992, that's an interesting year for release of a more than likely like H.P. Lovecraft-inspired or referencing uh, film. Um, Dark Tower, I'm not sure how I feel about that makeup job on the cover, but uh, Michael Moriarty is in there, and uh, he is a... He he's he was a hot commodity at one commodity at one point, uh, as far as actors went through like the seventies and the eighties. I'm not entirely sure what happened to him, but uh, he had a lot of uh, he had a lot of collaborations with uh, what's his face? Was it Larry Cohen? Um, oh, okay, the, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. The guy who gave us cue the winged serpent and uh, it's alive. Yep, uh, famous schlock auteur. <laughs> but yeah, um, yeah, I think. Cthulhu Mansion seems the most appealing, but the the Moriarty element is not to be overlooked. Um, Yeah. But moving right along, uh, we have a uh, Blu-ray that uh, officially on the cover uh, says it's a Haya original. Um, However, this is a well-go disc. And like I said, when it comes to like uh, Chinese, Japanese, Korean um, action movies, they kind of have that market cornered when it comes to uh, disc publishing in the West. but uh, this is apparently the first film that I'm aware of uh, that has been printed with the Haya label on it. So this is like proudly proclaiming that this is an advertisement for a streaming service that I don't know how many people have. Um, but in case they aren't aware, it's a martial arts movie streaming service. So maybe check it out if you're interested. But um, this is Crazy Samurai Colon 400 versus 1 from 2020, directed by Yuji Chimomura and starring... Uh, he changed his name to Tak and the uh, Predator 
laser dot uh, symbol with the three, the triangular symbol with the dots. Um, <laughs> uh, anyway, um, we've already talked about this on previous episodes. Uh, this was a movie that I was massively hyped for. Uh, so much so that I bought the Japanese Blu-ray. Um, Ooh. And here it is in its special special edition casing. That looks a lot nicer. A lot nicer. It's it's some primo shit, uh, for sure. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, the movie is, I would assume, the same thing. It's not a very dialogue-heavy movie either, so even if the subtitles are total trash, um, as they tend to be on a lot of the bootlegs I grew up watching, uh, there's very little dialogue anyway. So it doesn't mm-hmm. really matter. Uh, the gimmick behind this movie is that it's essentially a one-take action scene uh, after a very brief prologue, and uh, it's bookended by an epilogue. But basically, it's it's like two 40-plus-minute one-take action scenes involving sword fighting. And it's not terribly intricate choreography, but just in terms of like stamina and, and focus, like the the... The things that these guys do on the screen is very, very impressive. It it's, is kind of video gamey, in that like the experience of watching it feels like, like playing a beat 'em up. Like like you you walk to the right, you kill everybody, you keep moving. It feels very much like that. And there is some like, I don't know, film school novelty to it because the whole project, as far as I know, was like almost a dare where they just said like, "Hey, do you think we could do like a forty minute one take?" It's like yeah shit let's do it (laughs) and it doesn't really have a massive budget or anything but that's part of the appeal of it because all the blood effects whenever people get sliced are digital they do actually look really good Um, and the other funny thing is that whenever people get killed more often than not they run out of frame or they roll out of frame basically they find an excuse to get out of the camera's view because there's only like 20 guys who are meant to represent 400 guys and you start being like wait a minute I've seen that guy get killed like 50 times by now <laughs> and not only that they're like kind of color-coded and i think that's actually to like help the choreography a little bit where it's like oh that guy's in brown that means he's gonna get oh he did get that kind of hit <laughs> it's like every time that guy steps up he gets that certain kind of sword stroke it it's really fun to watch it does get a little repetitive but yeah this was a movie that i was very hyped for Ari purchased it long before we did this recording uh like i said i i splurged on the japanese import copy of it so um highly recommended if you're interested in in a novel project like this but um i've been talking for probably 10 minutes straight so let's uh, let's let brad have something to say hopefully uh, so <laughs> let's move it along to the next release um the reason i kicked the kick the ball to brad here is because as far as i know he still has a shutter subscription i still do um, yes yeah we have a sh- regrettably here (laughs) a little bit um you know like i still have it and that's always the thing where it's like ah it's one of the lesser expensive uh services so i'll just still keep it um and then this has been sitting on there i saw when it came out on the service uh the movie scare me and uh it kind of just came in and i was like ah whatever and i didn't watch it on the service um i suppose i still could I kind of read the premise here on Blu-ray.com. Kind of sounds something that I'd be maybe a little interested in. It's kind of one of those films where um, people are telling scary stories to each other. I don't know if... I think from what I read in the description, it's not that, like... um, we cut to like you know a uh, like an anthology film where we cut to a story that they're telling and we follow that story. I think this one, from what I read, it's like the story starts to come to life around them or something. 
but it's still kind of in that zone and i do kind of like that subgenre that sort of like campfire tale horror movie anthology sort of thing um so i'm a little interested in this one um and i i still have my shutter for another month so maybe i'll check it out i mean i gotta gotta justify that purchase of 5.99 again somehow sounds like a good candidate for like a I don't know, a slow month for reviews where it's just like, hey, bud, uh, you want to review Scare Me? It's like, yeah. what the hell is that? It's like, does it does it matter? It's like, good point. Let's do it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's the thing. Like, uh, you know, Shudder, they put out some interesting stuff, but I feel like just because they are a smaller streaming service, I, their movies don't really catch much buzz, unfortunately. So I'm kind of like, well, you know, that could be an inter- interesting review, but it's like, I mean, no one else is really talking about it. And I mean, I guess that could be good because it's like, I guess if you're the only one talking about it, then maybe that'll bring some hype to what you're doing. But also maybe nobody's talking about it for a reason because nobody's watched it or is interested in it. I don't know. Um, but yeah, the the reason I definitely did keep it for another month is the film The Devils. Uh, what is it? Ken, Ken Russell, I want to say, is the director of that one. Oh, uh, just popped up, popped up on there. And I know that's one I've been wanting to watch. Kyle has had a long history of being fascinated by that film, and I think he, I think he did it for the same reason. Okay, <laughs> like, yeah, like he, he was very excited to have an opportunity to watch that. That's like Oliver Reed or something. Okay, yeah, that's um, right. He is in that. It's, yeah. it, it's like one of those banned movies from the seventies, I believe. That it has a reputation for being, I don't know, controversial or something, and it, it isn't widely available. Um, so I guess you guys are on the same page there for being interested in checking that out yeah i was like i'll keep my uh, subscription for another month you got me shutter i was like if they didn't have that movie i probably would have unsubscribed no well, good job shutter you got brad for another you got month. me Better for another month pump something cool out <laughs> um but moving right along uh we have uh inu yasha <laughs> set for uh so uh, in case you're not familiar dear listeners um we tend to gloss over a lot of anime releases uh when we do these catching up on blu-ray episodes um, mostly because there's just an ungodly uh, number of anime releases from month to month, and I've been so out of the game for so long that uh, I don't really un- I don't really know what's worth talking about and what's not. Um, Inuyasha is certainly not in my wheelhouse. It's very important to a lot of people, um, but yeah, I'm not going to say any more than that. Um, moving along, though, uh, we have uh, Fatal from 2020 and you better fucking believe this is a Lionsgate release um and this movie uh I I read nothing but bad things I think I watched at least one YouTube review for it but in uh pulling up the profile for this film I found a reason to watch this Brad oh really um so this is apparently directed by Dion Taylor whose name means nothing to me personally. Okay. Um, Hilary Swank, unfortunately, is not a selling point, even though she's got, like, what, two Oscars or something? It's like, yeah, she's all right. <laughs> but uh, the selling point, though, for me is Dion Taylor, because this fella directed The Intruder from 2018. Oh, and My okay. God, that, mov- that movie is entertaining <laughs> for many of the wrong reasons, but I thoroughly enjoyed my time with The Intruder. <laughs> Yeah, I de- that's one I I definitely want to watch. It sounds like it'd be that's the one with uh, Dennis Quaid, right? Yep, <laughs> it's a uh, it's pretty great. Uh, it's terrible, but it's pretty great. Uh, that and um, what was it Tyler Perry's uh, Acrimony had it it like tickled the same 
pleasure center in my brain where it's like it's, it's so stupid <laughs> <laughs> but but I, but I was like i couldn't stop watching it and uh this movie gives it gives me similar vibes, <laughs> and I, I think I think I may pull the trigger on this. I'm not gonna buy this shit. Yeah, no, um, but if it pops up on Amazon or something, I'm I'm totally watching this, and I'm probably gonna drag my girlfriend into it. The uh, the intruder. Whenever I think of that movie, um, obviously I think of your recommendation as well. But uh, I I host trivia, and uh, at this one bar I used to host at. Uh, there was a drunk guy at the bar and, you know, you go around and talk to the people that play just to get to know him and stuff. And he was like, he, you know, he was he was pretty far gone. And I don't know how it came up, but it must have been like a movie round came up and we were talking about movies. And he's like, man, The Intruder, that is a good movie. <laughs> I was like, and I don't know why, but I was like, you know, I do really want to see that. For some reason, like, even though he was like kind of wasted and like, I don't know the guy, I was like, I'm going to take your recommendation i actually do i'm gonna like you know file that away and i'm gonna watch it eventually (laughs) so what this guy in like what yeah in in the midst of all the the stock mayhem he's like hey you invest in gamestop (laughs) (laughs) i should keep this guy around yeah yeah all right (laughs) this guy's full of golden nuggets yeah (laughs) yeah (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> um, moving along here, we have uh, Zappa from 2020. Uh, I would assume that this is a documentary about Frank Zappa, the musician and uh, very curious individual that has uh, many children of very strange names. Uh, <laughs> Dweezil, Ahmed, Moon Unit, all those folks. <laughs> um, we have some Doctor Who shit. Uh, we have some classic releases of My Favorite Bond, 1942, with Bob Hope. Uh, nothing but the truth also with bob hope and uh caught in the draft also with bob hope (laughs) um and have you heard of this uh all my life film brad i have not uh the cover makes it seem like a netflix original or something but i don't think it is um yeah never heard of this yeah it does very much have that like netflix original vibe to it just the cover art um i don't recognize these people on the cover although harry shum jr is apparently an up-and-comer of sorts as far as i can tell uh he's in crazy rich asians presumably will be in the sequel the inevitable sequels to that because as far as i know there have been multiple books and that movie did pretty pretty fucking good in the box office uh yeah no enthusiasm whatsoever but good on you harry henry shum Sorry, <laughs> this is, that's uh, the uh, the Happy Death Day girl is the uh, the other lead in the film. So, I heard uh, I heard that was a good one. Am I wrong on that? Uh, the first one I thought was just kind of okay. Uh, I I didn't feel like it took full advantage of the, like the time loop premise. Um, but uh, I I didn't see the second one. I actually thought the second one looked like it was a lot of fun as well. Um. But yeah, I mean, it seems like pe- more people liked it than I did, but uh, it was all right. Okay, I mean, not exactly a glowing review for it, but you know, in in the horror world, okay actually counts for quite a bit because there's there are a lot of bad horror films. Uh, th- that's not to say it's a it's a genre full of trash. It's just there are a lot of horror films from year to year. It's like probably one of the most populated genres. There's a lot of trash. There's a lot uh, of trash. 
Okay, well, you're the one with the Shutter subscription, <laughs> so I I will defer I will defer to you, Brad. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, we have Liberté from 2019. We have Half Brothers, which I don't know anything about, but the the cover art makes me think of. Uh, uh, this is kind of an obscure uh, pick here, but um, Jackie Chan and Johnny Knoxville in I believe it's called Skip Trace. I I totally see that. Yep. Yep. I totally see yeah, that it, on the cover. If you Google, if you Google skip trace, Brad, um, you'll you'll see what I'm talking about. Oh, well, I know exactly um, what you're talking about. I know exactly, yeah, the poster and everything. Yep. Yeah, you can you can hear. I don't want any trouble coming out of Jackie Chan's face in the still they used for that poster. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, I don't have. I don't, actually don't know if it's good. I would assume no. Um, but we have a, uh, a Shout Factory release of a film called 400 Bullets from 2020. And literally the only reason I draw attention to this, as like I said, I seriously doubt this movie is at all good, um, is that Jean-Paul Lai is on the cover. And uh, he is, uh, I think he's like uh, French-Cambodian. Mm. Uh, he's, a, he's a stunt actor that's he's he's on the he's on the up and come like like he's he's going places for fuck's sake he got punched in the face by jason statham like once in uh hobbs and shaw um, and he's been popping up in a lot of like um french and british productions as of late um and even a, a martial arts movie called a uh, jailbreak in cambodia uh, i think two years ago um this is one of those guys i'm keeping an eye on because i do think he is very very talented he just hasn't really found his movie yet uh, f- to be picked up by like western audiences but um i'm sure this movie sucks but it's kind of cool seeing him on the cover of something because yeah. i don't think he has many of those under his belt just yet but uh, we have uh, sharks of the corn from 2021 and this uh, uh how could this not be like a mockbuster of some sort like who put this out srs cinema i mean hey let's uh, give it its full due and its full title it's stephen kang's sharks of the corn let's get it right here stephen kang sharks of the corn okay you you you, you got me with that stephen kang stephen kang that's <laughs> that, the, that works that's for the me. funniest part of it the stephen <laughs> kang that is actually funny <laughs> No, I I do like that. Thank you for pointing that out because I would have missed that. But yeah, <laughs> Stephen Kang's Shark of the, Sharks of the Corn. But um, it's funny because uh, I see this director's name and maybe you can help me out. I probably not. But Tim Ritter for some reason that name I, I it sounds so familiar. Is it like uh, John Ritter's son or something? <laughs> Well, I mean, obviously, that's where my brain goes is John Ritter. But for some reason, just that combination of sounds, Tim Ritter. Like, yeah. It's like, Should I know who that is? But if you look at his filmography, it's like, absolutely not. <laughs> I hope not, Trevor, for, for your own sake. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, to- totally not going to be checking that out. But the Stephen Kang really, really counts for a lot. So it's like <laughs> kudos to them for being clever. Yeah. Um, and as far as I can tell... The remainder of the month is just uh, re-releases and extraordinarily indie releases that I'm not sure if they're worth noting, but we have... Um, yeah, I'm not even going to bother. Uh, <laughs> it all kind of looks not so good. That's fair. So I'm just going to bop on down to the following week. Um, so we have, uh, I believe this is not... This is not a debut in 4K, but uh, March 9th is the next release week, and it uh, begins with a Dread 
uh, that would be the 2012 Judge Dredd film uh, on 4K, but it's just a Blu-ray steelbook from uh, Best Buy. Uh, I do like the cover art, though. It's, uh, I, if you ask me, it's better than the the standard cover art. It's pretty good. Yeah, I, yeah. I already own I already own that one. I, I don't need an excuse to pick it up. But and then we have one of these uh, controversial VHS or it so badly wants to be a VHS slipcase. Uh, Mill Creek Entertainment release of Stop or My Mom Will Shoot. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Starring Sylvester Stallone and Estelle Getty. This movie was the the butt of many a Saturday Night Live and like Jay Leno show uh, jokes in its day. I've never actually seen it, but I, I, I'm not going to lie. I actually would like to see it. <laughs> I would too. Yeah. Um, I, I got to ask you though, what, what are your opinions on these um, VHS slipcovers? Cause we've got several of these this week. Um, you can probably guess what I think, but I'm curious what you think. <laughs> um, I don't like them. Mm-hmm. Uh, you you have to you have to be true to what you are, and the dimensions of a Blu-ray disc case are radically different from a VHS case. Um, and I haven't actually handled one of these with my own bare hands, but I would assume that it's just like it's just like a shell, basically. Yeah. It's it's a larger case that you like. It's like a com- compartment, basically, that you open up, and the disc is inside that. Um, I, I understand the novelty of it, but I I don't like oblong shapes unless it's like a super duper special edition or like a fancy box set. Um, and it would really piss me off to have like exactly one of these on my shelf and like never again. <laughs> I, I gotta I gotta call you out on this though. I don't think these are, I think these are literally just slipcovers, like regular slipcovers. Oh, really? With you, you mean? Yeah, because that's what. Yeah, so you mean with the with the tape half pulled out? It's just that's just the that's box? just the yeah like that's, that's just, just the just half art? of the slipcover. Yeah, because I'm looking at the uh, official news release on Blu-ray.com, and you can really zoom in on the thing. And yeah, it's definitely just a slipcover. Um, Ugh. Exactly. Yeah, it is disgusting. <laughs> it I, is. I mean that. Ex- that explains why it's two weeks old and it's nine bucks. Yeah, brand fucking new. Yeah, <laughs> just, I mean, <laughs> that's hideous. It is atrocious. I mean, you, just when you think Mill Creek can't go any lower, they somehow do. Um, I mean, well, it's I, oh, bad. Brad, I have a theory. So maybe the folks at Mill Creek are are too lazy uh, to the point that instead of like readjusting the poster art from its original like what 24 by 36 dimensions or whatever instead of re- rejiggering the image to fit you know the the more squarish size of a blu-ray disc uh they're like hmm what if we just slap like some like part of a tape onto the image and just literally use the poster art without adjusting it at all you might be right with just a little bit yeah that might not be too <laughs> it's far a time off. saver yeah <laughs> yeah yeah i i i could be onto something there. But, yeah. Um, uh, cover art aside, uh, I actually would like to watch this movie because um, people people really like to shit on Stallone. I, I get it. It's fun. Like, I do it too. But I, I actually do have a very, very soft spot for the guy, um, mostly because it seems like he, he tries very hard. It, it's similar to John Travolta, actually, where it's like it's very rarely good what he's doing. But I can see him like doing something, like it, like he's not totally phoning it in. He's trying it. 
Um, Stallone was his own worst enemy for much of his career, though. Um, I think this was maybe the doldrums of his filmography, like the kind of early to mid 90s. Like he, he really started to make some crap around then. Like Demolition Man was great, but a lot of the stuff in that era was not so good. And this was the one that always gets point to, pointed to as being like the example of like, oh, he did that. We can we can just firmly write him off. He's worthless now. But um, I like Estelle Getty. I like Stallone. <laughs> I like the title. <laughs> Stallone, I mean, he's a renaissance man. I mean, he, he writes, he directs, he produces, he stars. I mean, let's give the guy his due credit. He's He's the man. Yeah, no, I, I I do like the man, um, and I haven't seen all of his movies, but I I would like to make that a project of mine at yeah. some point to actually do that because uh, he he's had a very varied career, um, mm-hmm. especially especially when it comes to directing. Some of the things he's directed, you'd be shocked. Yeah, like, like I think it was Paradise Alley was maybe his first one, and then um, uh, Staying Alive. He did. He did the sequel to Saturday Night Fever. Oh yes, yeah. And it was just like, hang on, Stallone, <laughs> like, like you used all of your Rocky clout to make that shit, which has a very good Frank Stallone song in it, by the way, because back in the day they were a package deal, and uh, yeah, Frank Stallone has a pretty solid song in there that really gets your blood pumping. But anyway, let's move on. Uh, so the next release uh, for March 9th is a. Uh, Bring me the head of Alfredo Garcia, and this is a Kino release. Yeah, I, I um, gotta. And this is directed by Sam Peckinpah. Before we get into it, I gotta kind of just do a public service announcement here. If you purchased uh, "Bring Me the Head of Alfredo Garcia" from Kino, you might be liable for some compensation because they had to uh, put out an apology. Uh, apparently. I don't know too much of the details. I should have done a little more research. I just know that apparently the transfer that they put on the disc is the wrong transfer. They did not do the transfer themselves, apparently. They were sent the transfer from, like, a U.K. company who did the transfer, and the U.K. company apparently sent them the wrong transfer or some something of that nature. So uh, I think they are doing a replacement program because they acknowledged it. Um, but just, and I don't know, going forward, maybe if you buy it now, maybe it's all, it's all good, but just a heads up. If you have this in your, uh, collection, you may need to do a little bit of homework. So just, just a heads up there. (laughs) Okay. Uh, thank you for the PSA, uh, Brad. (laughs) Um, I actually, I actually had one of those recently that I'm not sure if I'm going to bother to follow through on, but apparently the, uh, earlier printings of, uh, the Akira, a 4k disc i forget if it was funimation or some other um, anime publisher i uh, did not have hdr encoded on the discs mm-hmm. uh, so they have the kind of thing where you can you can send in your disc and they'll send you like the hdr ready one but that's yeah. one of those features that i just really don't use even though a lot of people that's like even an even bigger selling point than the like upgraded resolution of 4k um that's just a personal thing but anyway um, yeah, that's important to note, um, but that's kind of shocking coming from Kino, who are known to be kind of like a, a, a strong boutique publisher of sorts. Um, Sam Peckinpah is one of those directors that, uh, <laughs> kind of similar to Stallone, actually. Um, it would be kind of fun for me to like actually do a deep dive in the, their filmography at some point, because uh, I've only seen a handful of his films, but there was a time when I was 
you know, young that uh, I was really interested in this guy. I don't know why I latched onto him. I think it was because I saw the getaway when I was a little too young and combination of boobs and shotguns uh, makes makes for a certain level of entertainment when you're a child that, uh, you know, you, you end up wanting more of if you're exposed to it at, a, at the right time in your life. Um, and uh, the Wild Bunch has long been like I'm. I don't watch that many westerns, but that is one of my favorite movies. Um, and it, it's kind of an odd western because it takes place in a, a strange period of time where it's it's framed as like the last western essentially, where they aren't using revolvers for most of the movie. They're using like Colt 1911s because uh, it's like around the time of World War One. Um, so it has a very different feel to it than most westerns. But um, long story short, I've heard very good things about this movie in particular. Um, it's regarded as one of his better ones, uh, and I'd very much like to see it. Um, and Brad, uh, the title beside this, uh, the cover art is stunning, but um, do you know this one? It's called The Forest from 1982, put out by Code Red. Yeah, I don't know much about this one. I'm, uh, you know, I'm just such a professional podcaster. I'm doing some research on this one on the fly right now. Um, I'm in the forums. I'm, I'm deep in the forums right now. Uh, according to Levcor, uh, who is a member since June of 2011, he says this is one of the worst slasher movies he's ever seen. Damon Stein says low on the body, body count and gore. Um, so, uh, yeah, sounds like it maybe isn't that great, uh, but I agree that cover art is pretty fantastic. It makes me want to get the movie. Yeah, honestly, the cover art is stunning. It looks painted. Um, and in looking at Code Red's other titles that they've uh, distributed, uh, it looks like they, they're firmly in the schlock wheelhouse. Uh, we have Jungle Holocaust. We have Savage Streets. Um, Kingdom of the Spiders, I know, has been on Mystery Science Theater 3000, so that tells you how good it is. That one has Bill Shatner in it. I, I own that one, actually. <laughs> Oh, very nice. I actually had a fun time watching that yeah. on like, Sci-Fi Channel when I was a kid. Um, and then Blast Fighter, which is probably the most Italian-looking action movie I've ever seen, except for maybe the Hercules movies with Lou Ferrigno. Um, so yeah, uh, if you're into this kind of thing, it seems like Code Red has uh, got you covered. But moving right along, we have a couple more of those uh, Mill Creek VHS-style uh, cases here. We have Gold Diggers. I'm just going to leave it at Gold Diggers because there's children on the cover from <laughs> 1995. Um, and The Babe from 1992, which is actually a pretty fun movie. It's John Goodman as Babe Ruth. Um, man, the, like after Field of Dreams, I want to say uh, like the number of baseball movies put out like greatly increased. Oh, yeah. Um, we don't get many of those these days. I don't know if maybe it's a MLB problem or something kind of similar to the NFL where it's like we just don't talk about that anymore <laughs> maybe yeah did you I'm trying to remember in your sports month I think was it you or Kyle one of you guys said I think you do really like baseball movies correct that would be me yeah, yeah. I, I do enjoy baseball movies probably more than I do the actual sport see I'm not I'm not a big baseball movie person yeah I, I, I could see that um mostly because um just the general flow of an actual baseball game is impossible to replicate in a film just yeah. because of time constraints and whatnot. Um, they tend to be like career stories rather, or, or season long stories rather than like a, you know, really focused experience. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I do enjoy baseball movies. Um, and 
I'll, I may have to do some research into that because just the oh, just the overall number of sports movies put out these days seems to be way down. Honestly, um, that could also have to do with international marketing too, where it's like hmm, you got you got to got to make something that works for everybody and not everybody's into the same things. Yeah, um, I could be I could be off on this. I feel like nowadays there's maybe less of a crossover between movie fans and sports fans. I feel like. I don't know. Maybe that's just me projecting the little bit that I see, but I feel like people that are into sports nowadays, like they maybe aren't that into movies and the people that are more into movies and games nowadays aren't as into sports as maybe they would have been 20, 30 years ago where they would have still liked, you know, that kind of stuff and still followed sports. I don't know. Well, yeah, I mean, just in terms of media consumption and stuff, like there's there's something for everyone now and if if you have any level of interest in anything uh there's going to be more news than you can handle about it from week to week <laughs> um so i could i could see people just getting more focused in their interests where it's like it's like do you know how hard it is to focus on an entire season of baseball and watch movies and and like obsess about movies to the same degree it's like that's a lot man i i try every season and i make it two weeks and then i'm out i'm out <laughs> Well, I've, I've always been told that that's actually part of the appeal of baseball, though, is that, like, whether or not you're there, it's still it's still going. Yeah. So mm-hmm. It's always waiting. You just got to find time to come back to it. Mm-hmm. Um, I do that with wrestling. <laughs> um, every year I come back just to watch WrestleMania, and then that's it. I, just to check on what the kids are up to, basically. <laughs> it's, like, it's always funny because, like, every year I'm like, I don't know who the fuck that is. Who's that? They suck. <laughs> and then I'm like, well, see you next year. <laughs> but uh, that's next month for me. So I'm, I'm very much looking forward to that mm-hmm. uh, annual annual month, like one month deep dive back into wrestling. And then there you I'm, go. Like, I'm out. Yeah. <laughs> it's an agreement I made with myself. It's like, you know, my entertainment budget can't sustain this. Something's got to give. So one month a year. Um, but moving right along, uh, we have both of the My Girl movies. Um, I would assume that the the pairing in the second film is different, being as I believe this is the Macaulay Culkin film where he dies via bees. Um, <laughs> presumably the boy in the second one dies via rocks falling or something. But, uh, we have Panic Beats from 1983 from Mondo Macabro, um, which seems to be another one of those schlock publishers. Uh, good for them. Uh, we have Sigourney Weaver in Gorillas in the Mist, 1988. Uh, Queens of Evil, also from Mondo Macabro, uh, from 1970. Very nice. I have nothing else to say about that. And uh, Brad, uh, maybe you have something to say about this. I know I don't, but the cover is intriguing. Uh, it's a Shout Factory release of something called Rent-A-Pal from 2020. Uh, I- it has Will Wheaton. <laughs> a good name uh i yeah i don't know much about this one i kind of saw it pop up a few places when it came out um i mean this is just like a uh, you know a very one thing i read but i i read something that they were not a fan of it i that could just be the one review i read or whatever um but yeah i don't know too much about it uh, i'm looking at some of the screenshots for it and it looks like it's fairly well photographed it definitely has an indie horror vibe to it um interesting uh it looks like it's looks like it's a combination of genres uh could be fun not about to put up the money to watch it but 
wouldn't be surprised if it got decent reviews. But mm-hmm. um, beside that, we have a Lionsgate release of a uh, Vanguard from 2020, starring our good friend Jackie Chan. And oh my God, Brad, you need to zoom in on the cover art for this one. So, Brad, uh, what was the film that you uh, you spotlighted on your Cinema Speak podcast that had the god awful Photoshop job? It was uh, spontaneous. Spontaneous was the name. Yeah, the the angle of that man's face didn't exactly match the tilt of his neck. Oh, it was bad. It was <laughs> real bad. That was real bad. Um, <laughs> but uh, do me a favor and uh, just take a look at uh, Jackie Chan's face and how silky smooth his complexion is. Yeah, they're definitely uh, <laughs> trying to sell him as a younger man than he is. You, there's there's something going on there. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it, I just think it's funny that they're very selective in the wrinkles that they removed because mm-hmm, yeah. he still has jowls. Like he still has like pit bull jowls <laughs> but, or or bulldog jowls. But uh, yeah, um, he's he's a little smoothed out to say the least. Um, this is this is one of those movies that I just I, I can't bother with. Um, Jackie Chan was was everything to me at some point in my life. Um, in more recent years, he's almost become a little bit of an annoyance to some degree. <laughs> where it's just like, just sit down, Jackie, for fuck's sake, or you know, pass the torch or something. But um, that has yet to happen in a in the Chinese martial arts cinema arena. Um, and funny enough, this doesn't appear to fit into that genre at all. Um, this is actually part of a subgenre of film. At least this is me projecting. I actually haven't watched it, nor do I plan to. But um, there's a subgenre of film uh, that there's a lot of in in like Hong Kong and Chinese cinema, and and it just international cinema in general, where it's just like big name star and his hot young friends. <laughs> like there, there are tons of these movies that come out where it's like it's usually about a heist. There's some element of sticking it to the man. Um, but yeah, it's usually like a fairly generic super squad of people who all have that one thing. They, they're they basically the Power Rangers, honestly, where it's just like they all have that one thing that they do where yeah. it's like sniper chick because uh, Asian values and like lady still has to have a sense of femininity and like delicateness while fighting. So let's either give her a bow or a sniper rifle, something where she can like kill people but not get in the thick of shit. Um, then there's like hacker dude. Uh, then there's like driver dude. There's, like, B-boy guy who is also, like, kind of hacker dude, but he does breakdancing in between hacking. <laughs> and then there's, like, young buck martial artist guy who does all the stuff that the the old guy action stars usually advertise to do, but it's like, he, he can't do that anymore. Yeah. So we need this young guy who nobody actually cares about. They're basically set up like a K-pop group where everybody has a designated role. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, this movie just reeks of that shit. Where it's just like it's just Jackie Chan's the front man, probably doesn't do a whole lot, and then there's a whole bunch of nameless hot young people to do everything else. That uh, Michael Bay movie, that Six Underground or whatever, mm. was exactly that. Yeah, <laughs> I was I was laughing to myself when I was watching that with my fucking parents. By the way, <laughs> that was a bad fucking choice. Yeah. That was an embarrassing evening. But the whole time I was watching it, I was like, oh my god, there's a formula. There's like a whole subgenre of like international action blockbuster cinema that has quietly evolved 
like off to the side and now seems to be front and center over and over and over again i get so fucking tired of these movies because like <laughs> none of this shit none of these people have any charisma whatsoever and in six underground i was like ooh, british guy that's it <laughs> like that's literally it he's appealing because he's british and has abs that's it <laughs> and that like uh, anyway let it out I'm done let it all out let it all out i'm done ranting about this piece of shit that i haven't seen so i'm, I'm being overly judgmental <laughs> but i will i will say one positive about it uh i'm going to butcher his name unfortunately uh brahim akabake ah, fuck i can't brahim i'm just gonna call him brahim uh he had a, a very prominent role in one of Scott Adkins's better films, mm. uh, Boyka, Undisputed, uh, aka Undisputed Four. Um, he played like one of the chief antagonists of it, and he showed a lot of personality, and he's got the fucking moves. Uh, so I would expect he does okay in this movie. Uh, I believe he plays a heavy of some sort. Uh, he's on the cover, so good for him. Much like John Paul Lai, it's like, hey, he made the cover. Uh, I can't say his name, but he made the cover. <laughs> um, but he's another one of those guys that's like, in terms of stunt talent, that's somebody I'd like to see do more. So maybe this is uh, a step in the right direction for him. But yeah, sorry, Jackie, you're not getting my money this time. Um, Brad, say something else about something not related to Vanguard. <laughs> oh, well, we've got something here called uh, The Choir Boys coming out from Kino. Pretty uh, strong cast, honestly. A bit of a selling point on that. Uh, I mean, uh, how, how do you say his name? Louis Gosset? Is, is it Gosset or Gosset? Ooh, uh, Louis Gossett? Gossett. Louis Gossett Jr., Randy Quaid, James Woods... Um, looks like some sort of police film. Ooh, don't overlook Burt Young. Burt Young, Paul, yes, can't Paul, forget about Burt yeah. Young. Paulie um, himself. <laughs> yeah, I believe this is a comedy. I don't know if this is uh, what's the year on this? This this must predate Police Academy, correct? Nineteen seventy-seven. Yeah, it looks it. Yeah. Yeah. This uh. does look kind of fun. Um, I'm not gonna lie though. Every time I see the phrase "choir boy," I think you fucking choir boy compared to me. <laughs> choir boy. <laughs> you think <Yeah>. you're bad? <laughs> Probably um, uh, could could be a response to uh, Animal House potentially. Um, just seems like that kind of uh, that's film. Yeah, that seems right. Um, but. Beside that, we have our first Criterion release of the month. That'll be Tolki Boki from 1973. Um, I unfortunately am not aware of this film or its director, but uh, as we tend to say on this program, uh, if it's part of the Criterion collection, it is probably worth your time. And I have seen a couple of reviews for this uh, in relation to this disc release singing its praises. Mm. Yeah, the only thing I will say, a little bit, you know, I don't want to be the PSA guy. Another PSA here is that uh, this film was already released through uh, Criterion through the Martin Scorsese World Cinema Project, uh, Volume 1, I believe is the name of that box set. Um, So if you own that box set and you're like me and you buy movie box sets and don't watch everything in it you might not even know that you own this movie already so just the just the heads up just in case anybody out there could potentially be double dipping i know the 
you know, that, uh, that cross section of that potentially happening. Um, I guess that's maybe not the, uh, most urgent, uh, issue going on today, but just a PSA for anybody out there. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, I mean, these are the insider details. They are the the kinds of people that would listen to this type of program would actually care to hear about (laughs) as opposed to me screaming about fucking Vanguard for 10 minutes. (laughs) 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 So thank you for that, Brad. You keep them coming, but uh, we have some classic releases. Um, I just want to single it out because it has Anthony Quinn on the cover. Uh, the Dawn is Dead from 1973. Uh, I, I I know he's done a, an insane number of like high-profile films uh, in his filmography, but I always think of uh, Last Action Hero when I think of Anthony Quinn mm. just because his uh, stereotypical mafioso uh, impression is so so spot-on. He's like, you, you pull it. 360 on me <laughs> it's like 180 idiot 180 <laughs> if i did a 360 i'd be right back where i started <laughs> that movie that movie's fun i i am actually looking for an excuse to revisit that one too but well you know you know what the excuse is right i, I am aware of that there, there, we'll, there you we'll go get there. okay <laughs> yeah we'll we'll get there okay um, all right yeah fingers crossed no bumps in the road but um <laughs> Moving along, though, we have uh, Ip Man, Kung Fu Master. I have nothing to say about this other than I think it's very funny that uh, this is, I believe, a TV series or something. Mm. Um, and it stars uh, Yu Hong To, uh, who, funny enough, has played Ip Man in like, at least two other films, um, but not the Donnie Yen Ip Man films. He's in, I think, two out of the four of those movies, and he just plays a jerk that doesn't practice the same martial art and gets his ass kicked. Uh, it's just kind of funny that it's like he's been in like an insane number of Ipman related films, um, and they're still using that name to to make some money. Because <laughs> yeah, I don't know how many Ipman products we've gotten outside of those those Wilson Yip four films. Uh, just just a lot of people riding those coattails, but. Um, we also have Russian Raid from 2020. I've heard very good things about this. Uh, it's kind of an adaptation of the Indonesian film of the same name, except without the Russian, obviously. Um, I'd actually very much like to see this. I may actually buy this, which hmm. will be interesting because it'll be the first Russian film on my shelf if that ends up being the case. Um, and I'm not seeing anything else that's really jumping out at me here for the remainder of the week. Uh, so I guess we'll bounce on down to the following week. Uh, which is March 16th, and um, Brad, I'll let you start things off, being as you talked about this on your show, I believe. Yeah, Promising Young Woman is coming to Blu-ray. Blu-ray only, no 4K, which is a little disappointing. But uh, yeah, just fresh off some Oscar nominations, Best Picture, Director, Actress. Um, And I I like the film quite a bit. I definitely think it's uh, worth watching. I didn't think it was perfect by any means, but... uh, Carrie Mulligan is very good in it and uh, definitely surprisingly left a little bit of a spoiler uh, situation for us. We had a really interesting spoiler discussion talking about the ending, which I did not, you know, you go into this movie not thinking that it's going to be like the ending is going to be, you really got to talk about the ending. But actually, the ending is very interesting and worth talking about, whether it's good or bad or successful. Um, but yeah, I'd, I'd like to revisit this one. Um, yeah, I mean, I might pick it up. I don't know. If, if it was a 4K, I probably would have gotten it. The Blu-ray only. Uh, yeah, we'll see. Okay. Yeah, I've, 
I've heard very, very good things about this. Um, I unfortunately haven't paid that close attention to the recent uh, Oscar nominations, such that I can't recall from memory if this was one of the films uh, that was selected for some some award. Um, but I have heard that this film was very, very good, and uh, it got a lot of positive press um, around the time of its release, so I, sh I probably should end up watching this. Um, Beside that, uh, we have Rad from 1986, uh, which is uh, a Mill Creek disc. However, as far as I recall, Vinegar Syndrome put out, I think, a 4K disc of this a while back. Yeah, so you're going from, you know, the caviar release to, uh, you know, like an expired fruit roll-up down here in the Mill Creek, uh, Mill Creek <laughs> dumpster. I don't know if, I don't know what the real, I don't know what the transfer is on this. I haven't looked into that, but... Uh, um, the, uh, 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 Vinegar Syndrome release, is it, uh, was that a limited edition? I can't remember. It might be sold out, actually. I, I believe you're right. Um, I'm not sure about the sold out thing, but I think it was limited. Yeah, they're going, uh, used on Amazon for $140 if you want to get the, uh, uh, Vinegar Syndrome 4K. So you might have to just stick with the Mill Creek. <laughs> yeah, uh, this is, a. This is an 80s uh, teen sports drama, much in the same vein as like a Karate Kid or uh, what was it? Breaking Away or something like that. Uh, Breaking Away is probably more appropriate being as this is about like BMX biking or something. Um, this is one of those movies, though, that I actually haven't seen, which I've seen probably more of those than I haven't. Um, the only one, the only reason this one's notable for me personally is that it has uh, one of the best like 80s like montage pump-up songs ever um uh, thunder in your heart brad uh please look it up someday uh, if, if you're in the need for motivation because it really is stunning how good that song is in fact i think uh i could be wrong but maybe it was in uh the opening of turbo kid i, I could be totally wrong but i seem to remember that anyway it's a it's a kick-ass song can't speak for the movie though but uh, beside that, we have a movie that I also already have in my collection. I have yet to watch it. However, Kyle told me is very much worth your time, um, at least if you're into this sort of thing anyway, uh, which apparently he and I are. Uh, that would be a Psycho Goreman from 2020 put out by RLJ Entertainment, who are kind of like a hit-and-miss distributor, but in this case, as far as I understand, it's a hit. Um, this is from director Steve Kostansky, uh, who I believe also did The Void. Mm, okay. um, which we reviewed previously, and I had quite a bit of fun with that movie. I had a lot of the things that I tend to look for in you know these sorts of oddball genre films. Uh, and I have also heard good things about his uh, first film, Manborg, from 2011. So uh, this one's on my shelf. Uh, I unfortunately do not have a uh, uh, next-in-queue shelf like Mr. Brad, um, his his beloved uh, family video, official family video uh, <laughs> shelf of soon-to-be-viewed films. Um, yes. I don't have one of those, um, but I do have a little part of a bookshelf that I stack these things on. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um, but moving along, uh, we have uh, a Kino release of a Runaway Train from 1985, which I have heard, despite the kind of basic title that really doesn't tell you much, any more than you need to know about the, what the movie's about, um, this is I think uh, often regarded as one of the better canon films that's ever been made. Like, better not in an ironic sense, just, like, objectively good movies. Um, and I've long wanted to see this movie because it, it seems to 
scratch a lot of the itches I have when it comes to these particular brands of like adventure disaster movies. Um, like I, I just watched the towering inferno not too long ago and had a ball watching it. So, um, I've heard very good things about this. Uh, I don't know if I would buy this, but I, I did spend money on sorcerer. I did blind buy sorcerer mm. and that worked out perfectly for me personally. So maybe I'd enjoy this to the same degree. Yeah. This one sounds um, good. It sounds like the premise and the cast. It got me interested. Uh, I'm just kind of taking a peek at the blu-ray.com official review uh, not really anything bad to say, but certainly not a glowing review of the uh, picture quality. Apparently, they're comparing it to, a, I guess, I, there was a Region B release from 2013, um, and they're saying it's not too much different from that release, unfortunately. So it's not a huge noticeable difference in uh, picture quality. But overall, I think they still gave it a 4, so it's still still good. Okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm still interested enough that, you know, maybe I'll put up the cash for this one. Um, but bopping on down to the next row here, uh, we have some classic releases. Damn Yankees from 1958, The Crimes of the Black Cat from 1972. Um, and beside that, we also have uh, Beyond Terror from 1980, uh, the latter two being Cauldron Films releases, who, as far as I can tell, are a fairly new uh, schlock uh, disc producer um they uh <laughs> they did put out the uh the american rickshaw disc that uh famously or or maybe not so famously was featured on uh, red letter media not too long ago um, the timing <laughs> kind of synced up perfectly where you can tell one of the people at that studio saw that oh i need to see this shit <laughs> and more than likely uh the trigger for them actually checking that movie out was probably the cauldron films blu-ray um, we have The Dungeon of Andy Milligan from Severin Films, which are a probably a little higher on the totem pole when it comes to these uh, schlock disc distributors. Um, damn, 1965 to 1984, so you get a lot of content with that if you're interested in Andy Milligan. Uh, we have another Criterion release of Celine and Julie Go Boating from 1974. Uh, another Criterion release, an international Criterion release that's not familiar to me, but probably worth the time. Um, and I like how just from the illustration, without being able to read the font, uh, this next one here from Synapse Films from 1997, Running Time, I was like, that's Bruce Campbell. Like, that has to be <laughs> Bruce Campbell. And then sure enough, you you open up the image, like, enlarge it a little bit. It's like, oh, yeah, it's totally Bruce Campbell. But it's a fairly accurate, like, not, not caricature, but the silhouette of the man's skull and, of course, the, the big hair. Like, you, you know what you're looking at. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. Uh, I don't know this movie, but I'm always down for Bruce Campbell. And uh, this is late 90s Bruce Campbell, so he's he's looking good. Uh, he's not yet doing Spider-Man cameos and stuff, so he's probably trying real hard. Who knows? But uh, I would totally watch this without knowing th anything about it. Yeah, I might have to uh, maybe check um, this one out. I'm always uh, interested in a release from Synapse just because uh, I'm from Michigan, and they're a Michigan you know, based company, which is always kind of cool, you know, just, uh, someday I would like to order directly from them and just like go pick it up right from their, uh, their offices. <laughs> but, uh, oh, yeah, man, like, like you, you got to do that, Brad. <laughs> <laughs> just like message them like, Hey, I just ordered something instead of shipping it out. Can I just like swing on by and pick it up? <laughs> I mean, I'm sure they'd be down. Probably so support, support your local synapse, man. <laughs> <laughs> But um, 
we have one here that it so badly wants to be a Shutter original, but it's not. And uh, funny enough, so we had, what was it, Wrong Turn get remade mm -hmm. uh, in 2020. And now we have Castle Freak uh, from RLJ Entertainment also in 2020. And this, this is a remake of uh, another film by the same name. I, I can't recall when the original came out, but it's a... It's one of those 80s movies that, you know, the title kind of causes people who wouldn't be interested in this sort of thing to just be like, fuck that, I'm out. <laughs> but um, from what I've seen, it, it looks, it, the original anyway, looked like a, a decently worthwhile, you know, creature feature. Um, I can't speak for this one, though. Uh, have you heard anything about this one, Brad? Uh, no, I actually kind of thought it was a Shutter original based on the the cover at a quick glance. Um I do like how they put uh, from the they put you, you got Bone Tomahawk on the front there, and then when you look closer, it says from the producers of Bone Tomahawk. Uh, for a second there, I was like, "S. Craig Zoller directed this? What the hell? I didn't know about this." And then, oh, okay, eh, okay, that makes more sense. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm curious what I'm curious what they're banking on that meaning to people though. Like yeah. If they're if they're banking on people misreading it and assuming it's from the same director, or if they're they're banking on elements of Bone Tomahawk having some similarity to elements of of this Castle Freak rendition. Um, either way, the title, like I said, is going to scare off most people who have not even a passing interest in this sort of thing. So your your audience is probably going to be very niche to begin with, but. Um, have you? I forget. Have we already talked about the wrong turn uh, review? No, we. Uh, it hadn't come out yet, and you said you were interested in checking it out. Did you end up checking that one out? Yeah, I watched. The, I watched the movie. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was weird. It was uh, honestly not a wrong turn movie. Um, without getting into spoilers, um, and I kind of like that it went into an unexpected place, but also the unexpected place that it went into, I thought wasn't very interesting so it's kind of like well i'll give you credit for doing something different but i kind of wish it was just more of a straight up new wrong turn movie just made well um so i wasn't like super crazy about it but eh, i mean it was it was it was okay i guess well i mean this is what happens when you know genres exist for as long as they do is uh you start to get subversive media or like I mean, for fuck's sake, if, if if Star Wars is playing the subversion card, then that means it's it's in the public consciousness, where the the idea of showing you the left and giving you the right um, is kind of a thing that we're doing with genre films these days, just to mix it up, I guess. Um, sometimes to the detriment of the final product, where it's like, could you just give me what I what was advertised? Like mm -hmm. like like that's what I paid for. Can you just give me what I asked for? It's like, no, we're not giving you a Big Mac. You get a taco. <laughs> it's, it's like, God damn it. <laughs> I like tacos, but that's not what I paid for. <laughs> but um yeah, I I don't know that I would check this one out. But the the wrong turn one, last thing I'll ask you about that one, um, is a uh, I I started to watch like a YouTube review for it and I didn't finish it shows how interested i was but um uh the reviewers kept emphasizing how brutal the film was would you agree with that being as you're a seasoned horror viewer mm, i wouldn't say it's that brutal like there's a few like I, I i noticed there was a few moments that were kind of brutal like where you'll see somebody you know without getting too into spoilers there's a moment where a tree is going down a hill and you see, like, people are trying to run from the log, the, the log that is rolling after them. And then uh, there's, like, a POV shot of the, the log 
hitting somebody like from their perspective and then it cuts to like their corpse basically so there's not like an actual like bloody impact moment that you see it's kind of like you see some just like after effect stuff um and that might have been like a budgetary thing but i didn't think it was that brutal um i mean you know not like i'd watch it with like my grandma or something but you know I wouldn't say it's like, oh, this is insanely brutal. It's like, you know, for an R-rated horror film, it was, you know, kind of right in that sweet spot. It w- wasn't brutal too much, wasn't, you know, underwhelming. It was just kind of like what I would have expected. Hmm. That's something they need to be cognizant of when it comes to horror reviews. It's like you, you need to have, like, your assessment based on the perspective of your average viewer mm-hmm. and perspective based on that of somebody who regularly subjects themselves to the shit i mean i i could just be you know fucked up i that, that very well could be like you know you could watch this and be like what the that was insane what are you talking about i mean like showing showing your gam gam doom eternal might you know might kill the poor gal but for you it's just like it's funny yeah <laughs> so, yeah <laughs> So yeah, uh, different different perspectives certainly yield different results when it comes to reactions to horror stuff. But uh, beside that, we have a film that I'm I feel like a shit heel for the number of times I've said I'm not aware of these things. Maybe I've been under a rock for past couple of years or something. Um, but don't tell a soul from Lionsgate Films from 2020. This is one that's not known to me, but just based on the cast. I feel like I'm doing something wrong by not being aware of it because it seems like it's actually a legit, like high-profile project. I certain I wouldn't say high-profile. The only reason I know of it is because it did come to theaters, and I did, uh, you know, speaking of wrong turn, I was looking at what was playing at my local theater, and I was, just, you know, a weeknight. I didn't care what I was going to see. I was just checking the seating charts, seeing what screening was empty. And uh, this was one of the options, uh, and uh, I ended up going to see Wrong Turn because that was empty as well. Um, but this was on my radar just because of that. Uh, I think it, it's something like, I want to say Rain Wilson is a cop. I, I watched the trailer. I think Rain Wilson is a cop who somehow these kids accidentally get him trapped down in a hole. Like, they commit some crime, and he's chasing after them. He gets stuck in this hole, and they leave him there because they don't want to get in trouble. And uh, one of the kids is, like, having second thoughts, saying we should go help him. And the other kid is like, if we get him, we're going to go to jail. And it's kind of like a morality sort of play. Um, I think it had, like, somewhat middling to decent reviews. It wasn't like – I didn't hear it was terrible. Okay. Yeah, I'll, I'll just read the plot summary because it is intriguing. Um, it's a uh, two thieving teenage brothers stealing money to help their sick mom – match wits with a troubled security guard stuck at the bottom of a forgotten well um and like you said uh rain wilson plays the uh security guard and uh i could be butchering the pronunciation of the first name uh fion whitehead uh fella from dunkirk that doesn't talk a whole lot and fella from bandersnatch who doesn't talk a lot <laughs> is the headliner and he really does have an incredible face for cinema um you really don't need him to talk very much. He's very expressive. He kind of has that, uh, um, what's, what's that fella's name? That's from, uh, Ant-Man and the dark Knight and, uh, uh, prisoners. Uh, it's like dust something or other. Uh, he's a character actor that looks like a fucking nut job oh, okay. <laughs> that you don't need him to speak. You just put him in the film and he looks fidgety and weird. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
I used to know his name. I don't at the moment. But based on the movies I just listed off, you should be able to figure him out, figure it out pretty easily. But this sounds interesting. Um, again, I wouldn't pay money to watch it, but uh, I would totally just casually sit down like on a rainy day or something and watch this. Um, but moving along, uh, we have What's Up Doc on the Warner Archive Collection from 1972. And this is uh, Barbara Streisand. And it's directed by Peter Bogdanovich. Ooh, high-profile project. Um, we have The Legend of Korra, the complete collection. Uh, not a series that I have watched. Uh, same goes for the Avatar uh, Nickelodeon cartoon. But I have I have a lot of people around me, uh, you know, adults, who, who are very big fans of this, of this property. Uh, so this is probably something they'd check out. Uh, we have The Invisible Man Appears, and it has a two- Oh, it's a slash the Invisible Man versus the Human Fly. Holy fucking shit! I love that title. <laughs> um, so this is from 1949 to 1957, and these are apparently Japanese films dealing with an Invisible Man versus a Human Fly um, from Arrow. Uh, so you know they're going to do a good job with the extras and the disc presentation and stuff. Um, and Brad is nodding along. He's like, "Oh yeah, love yeah. Arrow." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I only, I think I only have like one of their discs, to be honest. Um, Gotta up those numbers, bud. <laughs> <laughs> Falling behind. <laughs> uh, we have. Uh, okay, I'm just gonna skip a couple of these here, um, and I'm just gonna spotlight Taffin from Kino Lorber, 1988, and that would be because not only is it a Kino disc, so that's kind of cool right there, but uh, some sort of uh, action thriller, I presume, starring Pierce Brosnan in 1988. So this is, what, his Remington Steel days, uh, probably around then, uh, when he was up for Bond, but uh, Dalton ended up getting the thing and wrote it for a couple of times, and then he didn't get Goldeneye until a little bit later. But, uh, yeah, I, I've never heard of this movie in particular. Um, I know he did do some fun stuff before he got into Goldeneye and stuff, but uh, I would totally watch this. Like, baby baby Pierce Brosnan with a fucking revolver on the cover in the 80s? Fuck yes. <laughs> totally yeah. down. Yeah, definitely sounds kind of cool. Um, new uh, new 2K transfer as well. Ooh, very nice. Uh, be probably even better if I actually knew anything about the movie, but um, we have the last remake of Bo Guest. Uh, this cover art... Uh, reminds me of of like a, a certain type of of like madcap comedy film from around this era like it's a mad 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 world and yeah. stuff like that and i i don't know anything about this but the cover art is it's pretty striking i do like it quite a bit um and we also have songbird from 2020 this would be uh, the very i don't know very controversial because i don't think anybody really cared honestly but, <laughs> uh, this is a, a universal film that was uh produced by michael bay but as they tend to do um, with a lot of movies like this that they're not entirely sure how to sell it uh they just throw his name on the cover and hope that people assume much like they did with what was it castle freak that oh michael bay he directs things he probably directed this it's like mm, no he probably just like put five bucks in the pot when uh, we passed the hat around and then uh he got a producer credit uh, i forget brad did you review this for the cinema speak no uh we didn't but uh apparently she's not on the front cover surprisingly 
but I'm looking on uh, the cast on Blu-ray.com and uh, Alexandria is it Alexandria Alexandra Daddario, who is just a lovely actress, is in this. Um, definitely, uh, probably Michael Bay's type, so that might have something to do with it. <laughs> um, but it's a pretty. I mean, it's kind of, for a movie that kind of seemed like a joke. It's got a you know fairly decent cast. You got Demi Moore, Bradley Whitford. Paul Walter Hauser, Peter Stormare. I mean, come on. Yeah, it's kind of surprising. Only one of those really is a is a Michael Bay regular. Uh, honestly, um, uh, Paul Walter Hauser really impressed me in uh, Richard Jewell. By the way, I watched that uh, not too mm-hmm. long ago, just on a lark. Like I, I don't know why I chose I chose that movie that afternoon, but I was kind of glad I did. I enjoyed it, except for Olivia Wilde. She kind of she was fine, but the char- the character was written really sloppily yeah I had, she's a comic book villain <laughs> like, that's not issues. how people behave yeah. <laughs> yeah she she seemed like i know she's capable of good things apparently she's a decent director these days but um yeah the the writing for that character was kind of garbage but uh, he really impressed me in that movie mm-hmm. um but yeah peter stormare's you know he's in a lot of michael bay stuff for i don't know where that cohen brothers connection comes from there's a <laughs> stunning number of casting connections where it's like Maybe Michael Bay really likes the Coen brothers or something, and he's just like, I, I should just borrow everybody who's in his movies, including the one guy's wife. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, this movie was controversial, of course, because it was basically the the contemporary COVID movie where it's like, okay, it's, are we ready to tell this story just yet? And are, are we ready to explore these themes? As far as I understand, it's kind of a hollow product for the most part like it's it's too dumb to be offensive honestly um and just based on the trailers honestly some of the the cinematography was a little like it felt very cheap like it it felt like a covid production but with michael bay's name hanging over it where it's like you associate you know a certain level of production quality with that name like say what you will about like the the characters and the writing for a lot of his movies but in terms of aesthetics generally there's there's a bar that's set where it's like it's 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 gonna look expensive, but this one looked pretty fucking cheap, and I think it's telling that a lot of Peter Stormare's scenes appear to have been shot via like like a GoPro mounted in the top corner of a of an apartment building. Oh boy. <laughs> where it's like, okay, Pete, we're gonna empty the set. Nobody's gonna go in there for two weeks. You go in there alone. You shout all your lines <laughs> into this camera we mounted up in the corner. We'll close down the set for another two weeks. And then Alexandra Daddario will do the same thing. <laughs> it's like, that's how we made Songbird. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's that's surprising for Michael Bay, because he usually likes his uh, movies like he likes his women. Beautiful. So that is surprising. Yeah, no. I mean, say what you will about the guy. He He's generally a very good shooter. Not a very good editor, but um, he generally frames lovely pictures, often of lovely people. Um, but and also the the casting of the two leads it's like is this just like hot young people the movie because <laughs> like, it's like i was like i don't know who either of these people are they just look hot and young and they have no personality it's almost like vanguard but without the jackie chan factor uh but moving along here we have a positive id also from kino lorber 1987 not familiar with this one either and no one in the cast is jumping at me either so i'm just going to quietly move right along uh to something that i actually do want to see but i'm not paying money for it uh money plane (laughs) (laughs) to to quote kelsey grammar (laughs) money plane 
from 2020, uh, starring Edge of of wrestling fame. Uh, I'm I actually have, have not ever really been a big Edge fan, but I I do know that he recently made a return to wrestling. I think he's in WrestleMania this year, uh, so good for him. But uh, oh, and this he is billed as Adam Copeland, uh, so he's not doing the Rock thing and going by Dwayne the Rock Johnson. He's just Adam. Uh, Denise Richards, Kelsey Grammer, and oh fuck, Thomas Jane. I really like Thomas Jane, but he just keeps appearing in things that he is so above. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, Brad. Does he like have like personal problems or something? There seems to be a recurring theme in his filmography in the past, like I don't know, ten years or so. It could be. I think he just kind of is the guy who kind of had a few bad breaks and uh, unfortunately never really recovered from it because I like the guy too. But uh, yeah, it just seems like, you know, he had a few flops, few movies that uh, didn't get taken very seriously or very well. And uh, it's unfortunate because I, you know, I think uh, anytime he pops up and stuff, I usually do like seeing him and stuff. But yeah, I'm very much in the same boat. Um, my girlfriend was. Well, still kind of is obsessed with that uh, expansion, uh, the Expanse uh, TV show, and I guess he he was in a decent chunk of that. Oh, I, don't I know didn't if know. He's still in it, but uh, I was glad to hear that because I was like, oh, he's doing stuff that's not money plane. <laughs> um, but uh, I'm gonna pass the baton to you, Brad. Um, man, there's an exhausting number of releases that I have absolutely fucking nothing to say about. So I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna make you do it next, Brad. What what jumps out at you? Not much uh, for this week left. Uh, you've got Tower of Evil from 1972. Uh, that's coming from Scorpion releasing. I don't know too much about that one. Uh, you've got Dark Web Cicada 3301. Uh, yeah, not really sure uh, what that's all about. It is a Lionsgate release. Um, and if it's anything like Unfriended Dark Web... I might be a little interested. Um, and then the only other one I guess I'll maybe mention is this uh, Pinocchio, the new Pinocchio, which has been nominated for two Oscars. So worth mentioning uh, just because of that, I suppose. Is it like best Italian film or best animated film or something? No, I think it's like uh, it was nominated for costume design and makeup maybe. So just some Jesus. technical stuff, but yeah. Okay, <laughs> I'll take your word for it. Uh, good for Pinocchio, I guess. Yeah, so if you're, if you're going to um, watch all the Oscar-nominated movies, you got to watch Pinocchio. Okay. <laughs> um, we, have a whole sh- we have a whole shit ton of uh, re-releases following that. Uh, we also have something called I Am Lisa from 2020. It appears to be a werewolf flick. You know what? I'm just going to skip on ahead because, uh, yeah, that's a whole wall of stuff that we've seen before, including all of the American Pie movies, presumably all of them, because there very well be maybe more of them than I'm aware of. Um, so let's bop on down to March 23rd. And right out the gate, we have a high profile release that, uh, well, for me anyway, uh, this is one that I probably should have bought by now, honestly, because of that juicy slipcase goodness that uh, Brad was so kind to inform me about is kind of a limited thing from Shout Factory. Uh, so this would be Event Horizon from 1997, uh, directed by Paul W.S. Anderson, who, of course, we brought up at the very beginning of this episode. Um, yeah, uh, it sounds like both you and I like this movie, Brad. Is that correct? Well, I've only seen it once. Um 
I, I can't I honestly don't remember my opinion of it I think I like it I like if I told you right now I think I like it um but I think I will probably be getting this one because I do want to revisit it it's been quite a while since I've seen it um and I think this uh specific release from Scream Factory has been delayed several times um so you know the people in home video boutique the group on Facebook everybody's losing their shit for this one uh people are going nuts over this already um so yeah uh i definitely want to uh revisit this film and it seems like it is a pretty good package i haven't looked into uh the transfer or if there's any technical issues but just strictly from a uh special feature perspective they got a i mean it's pretty loaded discs they got a lot of new interviews and stuff. I mean, it seems like a pretty good package. Yeah, actually, the supplements are more more than likely the reason why I would buy this. Mm-hmm. Um, because this this was, I don't think it was a troubled production, but uh, I do know that there exists a different cut of it um, that never found an audience. Uh, so uh, there's a lot of grisly images in this film that are presented to the audience uh, in the theatrical cut of the, of the film. And like rapid fire like mtv style like like montage where it's like you get a couple of suggestive frames of something awful and that's it which you know actually for horror usually is better um however apparently there was there's a a lot of deleted scenes cut from this so um i'd be really curious to see all that stuff and of course the interview with the directors and all the people behind the scenes uh it's a it's a interesting and kind of bold film um, from a guy who, as we said at the beginning of the episode, seems like he has more to offer than he generally gives us. Um, but I want to say this was him kind of firing on all cylinders and uh, working working from, from his own creativity rather than borrowing someone else's and trying to make something of it. Um, it's... It's a pretty solid like space horror movie. Uh, it has a lot. It has a lot to offer, and I I actually quite enjoy this movie, especially uh, being as it came out in 1997, which is kind of a sweet spot for people of a certain age uh, in terms of like nostalgia, where it's like you're you were you were old enough to like look back on the products of that day and know who you were at that time. So it has a little bit of that going for it as well. Yeah, I mean, unless I'm forgetting something, I feel like most people would say that this is probably his best film. I mean, I guess Mortal Kombat, maybe you would, maybe <laughs> I, I I wouldn't, but maybe yeah, maybe you would. I don't know. But uh, Mortal Kombat gets all of the bonus points for nostalgia. Um, Event Horizon gets some of them, but Mortal Kombat gets all of them. So it's it's like a it's like one of those bullshit victories in like Settlers of Catan or something where it's like you add up the point totals and it's like, how the fuck did you do that? <laughs> it's like it's like I didn't cheat. The the game cheated. It's like, well well shit. But yeah, I, I would probably say this one's on a technical level probably a better movie. It's probably better acted and stuff, but Mortal Kombat's just so much fucking fun. Um and actually, I have a little bit of a soft spot for Soldier, to be honest. I don't, I don't think it's better than either of those films. I wouldn't argue that. But I do think it's slightly underappreciated. Uh, and I have a feeling, I haven't done any research into it, but I have a feeling it actually suffered a similar fate uh, to Event Horizon, where I, I want to say there's a different cut of it out there that we'd never really got uh, that I would love to see. Because, mm-hmm. I, like I said, I, I kind of like that. This is Rambo in space fuck's wrong with that (laughs) it's like i can't remember who was tango and who was cash but you're getting you're getting the other one this time but in space shut up enjoy it (laughs) um but beside that uh we have um is gattaca debuting on 4k it looks like it 
I think so. Let me, I'll double check that. Um, yes, debut on 4K. Uh, kind of a weird 4K release. Um, I mean, I, 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 di- I don't dislike Gattaca. It just seems like, you know, is there, are there people out there clamoring for Gattaca on 4K? I, if there are, I, I don't know them. <laughs> I mean, other than like, uh, fancy like turnstiles like electronic turnstiles like you would use at like a subway or something and uh the ocean can't really think of like spectacular visuals in this movie yeah to be honest. i mean there's a lot of handsome people in this movie uh but yeah um from a visual standpoint gattaca isn't really one of those movies i think of um i don't know maybe they're putting this out because we're we're approaching Gattaca world when it comes to like actual like human practices and stuff. Could be. Yeah. Uh, but, but yeah, weird timing. Um, this is a Sony pictures release. It'll probably, it's probably a handsome disc. Uh, it's a decent movie, um, but I'm not in a hurry to revisit it. Um, beside that, we also have, um, I believe this is also debuting on 4k. No, I think it is. I, uh, I think so. I th- I'll double check that as well. I think it is. I think it is. Uh, this would be Godzilla 2014 on 4K from Warner Brothers, um, more than likely in anticipation of the imminent release of Godzilla vs. Kong, which comes out at the end of this month. Um, I I mean, we've basically reviewed this movie like three fucking times. Like, <laughs> we found an excuse to talk about it at least that many times on Catching Up on Cinema, but I, I, think, this is, I think this is quite good as far as Godzilla movies go I'm a lifelong fan of the series um, but I'm not such a snob as to you know disregard the American Godzilla films the 98 is I really don't like that movie in a lot of ways but uh, I like this one quite a bit isn't it yeah I I love this film Um, isn't it crazy though that the 98 Godzilla came out in 4k before this one like isn't that just like weird it's deeply upsetting Brad I mean, I own it, but I mean, I'm not happy about it. Uh, you probably just have the P Diddy music video on loop all day long while you're working. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, Puff Daddy. I'm sorry. Yeah, it was a different yeah. time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, uh, I already own this movie on Blu-ray and DVD because, like, one of my aunts just mailed me a box of all their leftover Godzilla stuff because they were like clearing out a garage or something. So my auntie was just like, here, Trevor, you like Godzilla. Here's a whole bunch of VHS tapes. Oh, yeah. And Godzilla 2014 on DVD. Uh, So I don't know that I would be purchasing this on 4K, although I do like it enough to to do that. So I don't know. Maybe maybe I'll be stupid with my with my cash reserves this month and (laughs) throw it at things I already technically own twice. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) But um Moving on, though, we have The World of Wong Kar Wai from Criterion. Uh, this is a box set uh, from 1988 to 2004. It includes seven movies. Um, let me see if I can find all these movies listed off. Um, so we have As Tears Go By, uh, Days of Being Wild, uh, Chongqing Express, Fallen Angels, Happy Together, In the Mood for Love, and 2046. Um, Wong Kar Wai is a, a highly critically acclaimed director at China. Um, I actually haven't seen any of his movies. However, I have listened to the soundtrack for 2046. Um, and it was gorgeous. Um, I think it was actually a, a Japanese composer, uh, 
a lot of strings, a lot of like string solos and stuff, very uh, contemplative music. Um, but yeah, highly critically acclaimed. And as we tend to say with uh, Criterion releases, it's probably worth your time. Um, although seven, seven discs, it's a lot of movie, so be be ready for it if you end up buying it. <laughs> yeah, I, I I've never seen any of uh, this director's films either, and I'd like to. It's been you know one director on my list, um, specifically Chunking Express and In the Mood for Love or two that seem like are his most well known at least uh, here in the states. Um, so I I wanna you know de- do a deep dive on his movies, but it's also like don't know if I wanna you know drop that coin on it because like what if i just don't like his movies <laughs> yeah you probably want to sample one of yeah. those before you buy the whole thing mm-hmm. <laughs> that's a lot <laughs> but then if i sample it and i like it then i'm gonna have to re-watch it when i get it on criterion so i i'm gonna have to watch it twice so it's a it's a bit of a gamble either way yeah these are these are the dilemmas that that keep people who already watch too many movies from watching even more movies <laughs> <laughs> i'll watch the first half hour if i'm liking it i'll pause it amazon prime to me and then i'll just restart it the next day just rewatch that half hour so i'm only rewatching a half hour instead of rewatching the whole movie <laughs> wow you've, you've done this before <laughs> <laughs> many times <laughs> good to know but um beside that we also have a 4k release of soul from 2020 uh, did you see this one brad yeah i was uh, i was a big fan of this one um you know as much as i like to joke like oh pixar's dead they're not what they used to be i thought soul was quite the return to form and i was uh, a very big fan of it um very uh cool visuals uh i mean the animation obviously is beautiful but even like it seems like they took it a a step above on this one and the score is awesome it was nominated for best score it was done uh it's like half a jazz score uh done by i think his name is john batiste and then the other half is done by trent reznor and atticus ross who i mean obviously come on gotta love those guys um but yeah i thought this was uh a pretty awesome movie um and i would i would like to pick this up because i uh, my girlfriend subscribes to disney plus but i do not so i i mooch off of hers but i'd like to have this uh in my collection in case she uh, you know like locks me out of the account for some reason or something (laughs) (laughs) i can't imagine what would prompt that but uh, i'm glad to hear you liked it um yeah I no longer have a Disney Plus account. Uh, I only had one because uh, my brother was kind enough to gift me a subscription, uh, like last Christmas or the Christmas before, rather. Uh, so uh, basically, I have to stay off of all of the uh, like movie review news websites I used to frequent because all they fucking do these days is review Marvel stuff that I'd very much like to see someday. But everybody doesn't have anything to talk about anymore, so all they do is spoil fucking everything <laughs> so uh, movie movie critics are apparently starved uh for for work these days oh, yeah. um but yeah i've heard very good things about soul um i actually would really like to check this out mostly for the music like you said um animation is a, a lovely tool for creating like those wonderful audio visual connections because it gives you just complete control over the product and the timing of of like movements and choreography and stuff uh, which is why, like, I, I still get shit from some of my friends for not having seen Wall-E, because uh, apparently that movie marries its its audio with its visuals like incredibly well. Um, and I've heard similar things about this one too. 
Um, and of course, it's always good to hear that Pixar is, you know, back on track because, you know, they, they had a few blips here and there. Where it's like, yeah, you guys, you guys can do better. We'll give them this one. We'll give them this one. I don't know if I'd say they're on track, but <laughs> it's like, yeah, good enough. <laughs> but um, we also have a 4K disc of Batman v Superman, not versus v Superman, Dawn of Justice. Uh, I don't know how they're how they're advertising this. It just looks like it says Ultimate Edition. I believe they already put out this disc, but I'm guessing this is Warner Brothers saying, "Hey, the Snyder cuts out. Maybe you should go back and watch this extended cut of the previous movie." Uh, I already actually have this, um, not this disc, obviously, but the prior printing of it, uh, and I do think it makes for a slightly better movie. Although that movie is complete fucking trash, but it's trash that I smile at. <laughs> it, it's 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 a it's a wonderful trash fire um it's it's one of those very rare very very big budget dumb blockbusters that's like this is terrible and i can feel myself getting dumber subjecting myself to it but it's it, it's just so stupid <laughs> so i get i get entertainment from it but um beside that we also have a 4k release of news of the world the tom hanks uh, this is his second uh, apple film i believe uh, right? This one's not an Apple. No, this one. Uh, this one actually did get a theatrical release and everything. Um, Greyhound was the Apple one. Uh, this one, yeah, uh, directed by Paul Greengrass. Um, I do want to see it because, like, I like Paul Greengrass quite a bit. Usually, uh, didn't hear too many great things about this one. Unfortunately, um, not that I heard anything like really bad. It just felt like kind of you know everybody came and saw it, and it was it was fine. Um, but I do want to see this at some point. Yeah, me too. Um, I, I do like Paul Greengrass. Um, I'm not entirely sure what this movie's really trying to do. Uh, the advertising for it was kind of atrocious, to be honest. Like it, it really had no hook to it. It's just like, okay, Tom Hanks. It, it, it almost looked like Taken, but with Tom Hanks in the Old West, which is not a good thing when you're <laughs> dealing with a, a very solid director like Paul Greengrass and a you know beloved actor like Tom Hanks. But um, it has people I like in it, involved with it. Uh, so I'd definitely like to check this out. Um, certainly not going to just blind buy the fucking 4K for it, though, <laughs> like when I don't even really know at all what it is. But uh, we have... This I'm I don't imagine this is debuting on Blu-ray, um, or maybe it is. Uh, Raw uh, from Shout Factory from 2016. Um, this was a kind of like a coming-of-age horror story that uh, I actually heard very very good things about when it came out. I'm not sure if it's debuting on Blu-ray. Uh, it's a debut. Yeah, first wow. time. I think wow. from that... my quick search. Yeah, it, it looks like that's the case. It's just shocking to me that I heard so much good about it and it took almost five years to come out. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this was one that did really well like film festivals and stuff and I've heard mostly good things about. Um, in fact, I think it, I had it on our uh, our watch list at one point for like October or something like that. But what else catches your eye, Brad? Anything? Oh, we got some more uh, Vincin titles, some Vinegar Syndrome titles here. You got Rush Week, Last Gasp, which I do believe stars Robert Patrick, and uh, Death Promise, all uh, coming out through Vinegar Syndrome there. Um, don't know much about any of them, but of course, you know, it's going to be a great release no matter what if it's uh, Vinegar Syndrome. Okay. Uh, looks like uh, this uh, cover 
for the Bloodhound from 2020, an Arrow release, uh, is eye-catching for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> for some for some reason, the uh, more prominent figure in the on the cover reminds me of the the fellow that played uh, what's his name Angus in the movie Angus, or <laughs> like the the guy from that movie The Mighty. <laughs> he's yeah, on, he's yeah. on Daredevil, uh, the the Netflix series. For some reason, the shape of his head kind of makes me think of that, but. It's a very painterly, uh, kind of creepy cover. I like it quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, we have looks mm-hmm. like individual releases of all those Wong Kar Wai releases we talked about earlier. Um, we have one that I I can't make heads or tails of at the moment, but I think it's interesting uh, that's coming out now. Um, Cosmo Ball from 2020. Um, I bought a uh, a well go disc a while back. A not not very good well go disc, <laughs> by the way. Um, I think it was like Dead Reckoning or something. Which is, I love me some Scott Adkins, but not when he's shoehorned into a, a teenage rom like romance story. Um, and James Remar was never on that boat in that movie. <laughs> like like that was a cardboard cutout of James Remar. Uh, but Cosmo Ball, I believe, is a Russian film and the special effects quality in it is pretty fucking good hmm. and it has like almost like a little bit of like a fifth element vibe to it in terms of like the the world that's or, what uh, i was getting now actually was, just like luke besson yeah i was, I was gonna say him. valerian when i was looking at some of the <laughs> images yeah yeah um but yeah they they packaged that well go disc i bought with a trailer for this movie and i i normally would skip it but i just sat and i just watched it because i was like huh this is a russian production it's like how many of those have caught my attention in the past 10 years and you could probably count on one hand um but yeah this looks to have had a lot of money thrown at it um i don't know if it's going to find any success internationally but uh, clearly clearly there's some money backing it and some passion but no idea if it's any good or if it's worth anyone's time but from a visual standpoint it's like oh wow but um Let's see what else we got here. Brad, anything jumping out at you? Uh, I mean, I'll just real quick mention The Undoing, which is an HBO limited series with uh, Hugh Grant and Nicole Kidman. Uh, a lot of people, it's from the guy who uh, was the creator of Big Little Lies, if that uh, catches anybody's fancy. A lot of people didn't like the ending of this one. I actually did like the like my initial uh, response to it was I also didn't like the ending, but the more I thought about it, I was like, I kind of like how they did a little bit of a zig instead of a zag, if you know what I'm saying. Um, and Hugh Grant is really good on this show. Like the show itself is, you know, it was watchable. It was it was kind of good. There's a little bit of a murder mystery where Hugh Grant is uh, accused of murder. And uh, the real uh, question of who is the real killer is kind of like hanging over the whole series. Is it his wife, Nicole Kidman? Is it uh, Donald Sutherland, who I think is her father? Is it the victim's husband? Like, who is the actual killer? Um, Hugh Grant, though, he knocked it out of the park on this. Like, I'd say it's definitely one of his best performances. He's really good on this show. Yeah, it sounds like he's had a little bit of a resurgence in recent years. Yeah, yeah. Paddington, too. <laughs> Yeah, I've I've heard really really good things about about Paddington. To be mm-hmm. honest, like it's one of those things that like I th- I think like if you're not aware of 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 the reputation of the film, you just assume from the title and the concept that's probably just some kids movie. But like people 
People fucking love those movies. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. For me, I everybody. I think everybody says the second one's better. Uh, the first one, I loved the first Paddington. Like, totally took me by surprise how good it was. Yeah, I need to see them someday because um, just the amount of praise uh, sung about those films is, mm-hmm. frankly, it's shocking. To be <laughs> it, it, it is. Like it is. You're. It's. It seems like you're a bad person or you're not a human if you have a problem with Paddington, basically. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think that's about it for that week. So let's move on to the very end of the month here. So we have March thirtieth, twenty twenty one, and right out the gate, uh, we have a big one. Uh, so this would be Cecil B. DeMille's The Ten Commandments from 1956 on fucking 4K. Yowza. That's probably a lovely package. Um, um, this, I've never this seen movie, this. Like, you don't have to have... Oh, you haven't? No. Um, I haven't seen it in, in its entirety, but um, I think in in like a middle school television class I took, like they were explaining to us about maths and like compositing. Um I don't know why, but, but I, I, I'll never forget that they actually showed us, like, the parting of the Red Sea and, and like, the burning bush and stuff, uh, just as examples of, like, the evolution of these technologies in film. And I'm sure on fucking 4K, uh, some of this stuff looks incredible, because um, I remember being, like, 12, 13 in a classroom and just being like, whoa, and then being like, that's from the fucking 50s? That's nuts. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, these these this movie. Um, as far as I understand, you don't have to have any, you don't have to have any religious affiliation to to enjoy this. I mean, for fuck's sake, you get Yul Brynner, Yul Brynner. <laughs> he's like, Pharaoh, right? As, he's as the Pharaoh. Ramses? Yes. Yeah, yeah, and he's Yul Brynner's fantastic. I I I really like his style of performance. Mm-hmm. Like the things he's asked to do, he always he always knows how to do it. Like be it Westworld or this or uh what i mean was it uh the king and i i think that was him too mm. yeah um, i think you're right anyway uh, oh yeah and i think he was also in the magnificent seven um he, yeah you'll bring you'll bring a lot of fun i i like his style performance charlton heston um personal politics and stuff aside um the man could could capture your attention um my my dad always used to call him harlton cheston because like 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 how i called Channing Tatum tanning Manham, um, <laughs> Harlton Cheston, because it seemed like before the cameras would roll, he would just like put his finger up and just be like, <gasps> and, like puff out his chest as big as possible, get all the lines out all at once, and then the camera would cut, and they'd be like, <gasps> like just let it all out. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, this is one of those you know 1950s film epics that. There's a reason why it has the reputation it does. Uh, it was a massive undertaking for its day, and it probably still holds up. Um, I would, I don't know that I would buy this, but I would very much like to watch it in its entirety, not just the effects. Yeah, I might be, I might be checking it out. I actually, I'm uh, one of the few people who uh, kind of liked uh, Exodus: Gods and Kings, so I might have to do a double, uh, oh. double feature. We might be going full Moses uh, uh, this spring. <laughs> Oh no! Yeah, I I saw that movie in the theater with my ex, and uh, she enjoyed it because you know, two <laughs> handsome that, dudes. Is that why she's like, your ex? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you, if we're piling on, sure. <laughs> it's like, it's, 
like citing my grievances. <laughs> it's like, well, she's, I did have to sit through fucking. Yeah, Exodus. she's like, that was really good, and you're like, this is uh, this isn't gonna work. <laughs> yeah, I, I think we're done. <laughs> but come on, though, the crocodiles, like... the crocodiles turning the river red with blood. Come on, love that, love it. Uh, it 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 almost reminds me like that aspect of it kind of makes me think of like. Uh, that very unfortunate Oliver Stone um, Alexander movie. Mm, where it's I never like, saw that one. Is it's terrible. It's really <laughs> bad. I like Colin Farrell. I like Oliver Stone mostly. Like Oliver Stone has lots of hits and misses, but very much like Stallone, he always fucking tries. Um, but it has that weird like subversive element to it, where it's like, oh, Brad is showing off his uh, his lovely Blu-ray of Exodus: Gods and Kings. Finally, gonna watch Ridley this Scott. bad boy this year along with the Ten Commandments. We're gonna do a double bill. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna enjoy this. <laughs> All six fucking hours of it. <laughs> Jesus. But what I'm getting at is like Alexander felt like it really was only made because somebody wanted to point out that like. Uh, I don't know. Alexander was human and was fallible, and maybe was into some kinky shit. Um, and Exodus kind of does that too, where it's like, oh, maybe he was just tripping balls the whole time. <laughs> it's, like, <laughs> it's like it's trying to have its cake and eat it too, where it's like this religious epic that also tries to be like, oh, but it's not actually religion or sci- or like fantastical phenomenon or anything. It's like, no, there's a scientific explanation. The mm-hmm. crocodiles, they made the river red. <laughs> it's like, ah. <laughs> but uh, mostly I, I just found it tedious. And the whole, t- like this happens, maybe it's just because it's Ridley Scott, but I really don't like when I'm watching a Ridley Scott movie and I'm like, you've done better. <laughs> and it's only because he has done better that I can, do that to the film mm-hmm. like, yeah if, if if it was from like brett ratner then i wouldn't be saying that uh while i have like while i'm watching the film but because it's him it's like, mm. <laughs> it's like was it was it you guys or was it something else price. i was was it you guys or something else i was listening to that mentioned the counselor recently i can't remember uh that was episode three of catching up on cinema. So okay. unless you listened to that episode recently, I could have swore that in a recent episode you guys mentioned something. Yeah, like you mentioned it in passing that you'd reviewed it. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe, I'm May- of maybe else. we did. I mean, Kyle doesn't need an excuse to bring up the counselor. He loves that movie. I, I want to reason revisit, we did it. Early. I, I want to revisit that. <laughs> no, I, I I enjoyed it. It was mm-hmm. one of those movies that I hadn't seen. I'd only heard bad things about it, but Kyle was like, you know, we we're just getting this podcast project off the ground i'm enthusiastic about this and part of doing the show involves me having uh having to check any feelings i have about films at the door it's like regardless of whether it's good or not i don't care i'll watch it (laughs) it's like it's only two hours out of my life it's like if it's terrible then i can yell about it for two hours yeah (laughs) uh and looks got another ramble coming up here um I don't have anything to say about it. I'm just curious if you do. Uh, so we have uh, on 4K, and uh, important to note the way HBO Max works with these uh, VOD releases, same day as theater releases, rather. Um, they're removed from the service after, I believe, a month. Uh, mm-hmm. So we have Wonder Woman 1984 on 4K, uh, which came out in 2020 and uh, debuted in theaters and on HBO Max, but has since been absent from, from any viewing sources and is now available in physical media. Um, man, 
this movie got trashed by critics and Kyle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I didn't like it either, but I definitely didn't dislike it as much as a lot of people did. Um, I mean, I kind of have a theory that it was the sort of thing where it was like it came out right on Christmas and it was, you know, everybody could watch it in their homes at no charge, essentially. I feel like there was a little bit of a thing where people were having just fun, just ganging up on this thing. Um, Cause it's not good, but I didn't, I mean, like I saw some people like, you know, really like saying this is like just a pure disaster. And I, I didn't find it to be that bad there. I mean, this, the third act is pretty terrible, but they, I mean, there were some things that I liked in it. Um, but yeah, I think it was, there was a little bit of, and I, we had fun with it too, just kind of piling on it. I mean, come on, why not? Um, but yeah, I wouldn't purchase this or rewatch it, but it was, it was okay, I guess. I don't know. If it returns to HBO Max in, in the next, uh, five months, you know, cause I currently have a six month subscription, uh, I might watch it. I'm not paying a fucking cent to watch this film, uh, being as I, I could have. I didn't because uh, I, I did have the service um, when this was available. Um, I, I I don't know, though. Part of me really does want to watch this because I've heard so much bad about it where it's like, I got to know. Like I, I, I got, I'm like that guy in, in Dirty Harry. Like, I got to know. Was it five or six? <laughs> it's like in this case, it's like, I got to know. What's wrong with Wonder Woman 1984? Because... Uh, I've heard so much bad shit about this one and uh, it sounds like really basic shit though, where it's like if anyway had any sense of how to handle this project, it could have actually been something quite a bit better. Um, so something mm-hmm. went dreadfully wrong as far as I can tell. And all signs point to the ending being very similar to like the end of a Care Bears movie, to be honest. I remember. Yeah. I can't remember if it was the first or the second Care Bears movie, but they break the fourth wall because there's like a little kid or something that's dying. Um, and all the Care Bears look directly into your soul and say, like, say to the fucking TV that you care. <laughs> and then they keep repeating, we care, or something like that. And they do it for like three minutes, and then the kid comes back to life because presumably all the little kids are sitting in their living room screaming at the television, annoying the shit out of their parents. (laughs) I care! (laughs) So, I haven't actually seen the conclusion of Wonder Woman 1984, but everything I've heard about it sounds really similar to that. That's about right. Yeah, you're about right. Yeah. Well, maybe that's a 1984 reference or something, where it's like, but that's how shit was in the 80s. Like, <laughs> that's how children's entertainment was. Actually, that's a theory I had about the movie, again, without having seen it, is that maybe it was maybe it was assembled. Uh, I say assembled, not produced. <laughs> um, in an attempt to reach out to, like, a younger audience than most people expected or something. Like maybe the marketing didn't do them any favors or something where it's like, actually the movie was intended for kids basically, but nothing about the way it was marketed suggested that. So people were really confused where they brought their, their grown up brain to a, a baby movie basically. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that does happen, but um, anyway, I'll get around to watching it someday. I, I'm not going to do a review for the podcast or anything, but I am curious enough to subject myself to it. Cause I tend to do that. Uh, but let's bounce on down to our next uh, Criterion release here. We have Defending Your Life from 1991. 
And this is directed by Albert Brooks and starring Albert Brooks. And hey, it's got Rip Torn, Shirley MacLaine, and Meryl Streep in it. Wow. Uh, damn. That's a that's a murderer's row of talented folks. Uh, yeah. I would totally watch this without knowing anything about it. I know uh, the Criterion Channel has, uh, I think it might be gone now, but they had a like a series on Albert Brooks where they had a bunch of his movies on there. Um, so I've heard some podcasts and stuff talking about his films lately and i've i've never seen a film he's directed and I, I definitely would like to it sounds like he's got some interesting uh comedies and you know unique ideas yeah uh i don't know if he had anything to do with the production but i always really liked uh, broadcast news mm-hmm. um him william william hurt and uh was it holly hunt i could be totally wrong on that is it holly hunt and Helen, or is it Helen Hunt and Holly Hunt? Helen, Helen Hunt and Holly Hunt. Oh fuck! I'm, is that I'm is that right? Pants here. <laughs> I don't actually know. Um, it's something along those lines. I'm not about to look it up, but uh, we have a Severin Films release of Nosferatu in Venice uh, from 1988. Kind of a cool cover. I like the font. There, there um, is a sure Holly Hunter the, uh, and a Helen Hunt. Sorry to interrupt, but that was who? Like somebody it's messed Holly up Hunter. there. It's, like no it's ho- it's holly hunter then okay <laughs> Thank, thanks for covering my ass Brad. Appreciate <laughs> it. <laughs> we don't have a guy in the booth so brad has to do it for me that's <laughs> right um but yeah uh, nosferatu in venice um kind of digging the white snake hair on nosferatu <laughs> since mm-hmm. very 1988 um and I, I don't have a whole lot to say about it but i will say that we did um when i was a kid have a Japanese exchange student live with us um, and f- I thought it was really funny at the time that the movie she wanted to rent from the blockbuster was Girl Interrupted which is getting a Blu-ray release from 1999 um, I always found that very strange but then I learned a little bit more about how the world works and apparently uh, international releases oftentimes a lot of American releases take their sweet fucking time getting over there to Japan uh, so this was a movie she was apparently aware of, but knew wasn't going to be getting to her neck of the woods anytime soon. Mm. And uh, Winona Ryder, uh, I don't know about today, but back in the day was wildly popular in Japan. Oh, okay. And Angelina Jolie probably still is. So regardless of what the movie was, just the two people in it and the fact that it was out of reach for her was enough to make her want to see it this movie's fucking heavy (laughs) so it was like really strange watching this movie that i'm sure um without the aid of japanese subtitles she wasn't getting all of because her her english wasn't exactly the best um it was a very odd choice of film (laughs) but i remember watching this in 1999 as like a 12 year old and i was just like she brought this into her home. <laughs> like, what the fuck? <laughs> but uh, moving on, though, we have another Criterion release, uh, Secrets and Lies from 1996. And this is directed by Mike Lay, who, let's see what else this fella has done. Uh, Goddamn, uh, nothing I am familiar with, Brad. I feel, I feel like such a noob when it comes to movies this month. He's done a lot. Of, I don't think I've seen any of his films, but like I know of Naked. I remember Mr. Turner. Mr. Turner, when that came out, it made headline worldwide news when the Oscar nominations were announced, um, and the, it was nominated for best cinematography. Uh, cinematographer Dick Pope, and whoever read out the nominations pronounced his name Dick Poop, um, <laughs> which. <laughs> Jeez. 
the only thing I remember from that movie is that a uh, little snafu there. Um, so yeah, I, I know like Vera Drake, Happy Go Lucky. Like I've heard of all these films, but I've never actually seen any of them. Gotcha. Well, I mean, it sounds like it sounds like he's you know probably a critically acclaimed filmmaker that maybe hasn't really found a mainstream audience, but it's a criterion. Probably did probably did something right that at bat, but. Um, bopping on down, we do have a uh, Mortal Kombat 2 film collection, again, probably to hype the imminent release of the new Mortal Kombat film in April. Um, and we have a film that I believe you covered for the Cinema Speak, and that would be Another Round from 2020, uh, mm-hmm. starring Mads Mikkelsen and, and several other talented folks. Yep. Yeah, very good movie, and surprisingly, um, pretty much everyone expected to get nominated for Best Foreign Film at the Oscars. Got it snuck in for a surprise Best Director nomination as well, um, which doesn't, you know, not not nominated for Best Picture overall, but Best Director sneaking in kind of, uh, you don't see that happen too often anymore. So uh, congrats to, I think his name's Thomas Vinterberg, who uh, got the nomination. He, I, I've seen The Hunt of his. Uh, I really like that film, so I'm glad to see that he got some good recognition there. Very cool. Um, we have a steelbook of an American werewolf in London from Arrow. This was a previous release of theirs. I'm guessing this is like a super duper special case edition. Uh, same disc, presumably. Uh, we have an odd release of uh, King's Glaive, Final Fantasy. Is this like 14 or something? No, 15. Um, I actually own this on Blu-ray. Uh, this is from 2016. It's a CGI animated film. Um, Maybe Final Fantasy has a new game coming out pretty soon or something. I know they've been hyping some more Final Fantasy VII stuff. Maybe, like, another edition. Oh, wait. I think there's another, like... There's another numbered entry in the series coming out at some point. It was recently announced for, like, PS5 and stuff. But uh, this movie is visually stunning. Absolutely. I actually was kind of bummed that there wasn't a 4K available, so now I'm kind of pissed. But it's like, oh, shit, I got the Blu-ray, but... <laughs> I, it's not good enough to warrant a, a repurchase. It's not a very good movie, but I've said this before on these kinds of episodes that part of the reason like Japanese CGI films are kind of interesting to watch is that they use the same technology we do, probably a lesser form of it, honestly, because they have less money to work with, but they use it to render images that we just don't. We get, we get Soul and Raya the Last Dragon. They do this shit. That like has the worst script imaginable and nothing, nothing terribly important to say, but from a visual standpoint, the kinds of things that they're wanting to put on the screen are ambitious in ways that are very different from the way we're going about things. So um, that's why I ended up buying the Blu-ray like secondhand, and I wasn't disappointed with visuals, but not a very good movie. Um, <laughs> uh, beside that, we have a uh, OVA collection of an anime that I will actually spotlight, uh, Cyber City Oedo 808. Um, this is this is like prototypical example of the kind of schlock you would find in the uh, the one shelf of anime VHS tapes that they had at the Blockbuster in my neighborhood. Uh, this is directed by Yoshiaki Kawajiri, who directed Ninja Scroll. Uh, and it shares a lot of the same DNA, a lot of the character designs and a lot of the style of the action is going to be very familiar to you if you've experienced Ninja Scroll. God, I love Ninja Scroll. <laughs> it's very, very important to my personal development, that movie, <laughs> for in a variety of ways. Tells you a lot about me. Um, but yeah, this is a fun one. Um, the animation isn't nearly as crisp, um, nor is it, nor are the, like, the aesthetics as cohesive as ninja scroll and indeed some of the other directors films but uh 
it's a fun one. It's a it's a fun like I don't know lazy lazy afternoon watch where it's like this is fucking stupid, but it's kind of cool. <laughs> it's like I'm not I'm never gonna think about that again, but it was fun. Um, we have a bunch of sh- I can't tell if this is schlock or not, but it's from Severin Films. Uh, we have The Day of the Beast and uh, Perdita Durango and uh, The Big Bust Out. Um, uh, the latter of which is a shout factory, actually. But uh, the cover art for these, I'm not entirely sure what to make of them. Uh, they don't really give you much to work with, but uh, yeah, I know. Films, uh, again, it's one of the- th- those also are coming out on 4K and just they're from Severin, and they've really been, uh, you know, killing it in the their 4K releases lately. So I, I don't know much about the films, but uh, certainly worth noting because people have been loving their uh, 4K releases. Okay, well, maybe I need to hop on that Severin train sometime. Still haven't, but maybe we'll get there. Um, and we have a release from one one of, I wouldn't call it one of your favorites, but a distributor that you know quite a bit more about than I do, uh, AGFA, mm. uh, mm-hmm. American G- Genre Film Archive. Is that correct? Yeah, yep. Um, this one is, uh, what is it? Jungle Trap. Jungle Trap. Yeah. Um, which, uh, you know, these ones are, like, super low-budget, like, you know, we're talking micro-budget films. A lot of them are just kind of almost local, locally-made films made by some friends and stuff. Like, uh, the one that we kind of made fun of the cover art for, Scary Tales, was, like, a local access movie. Um, and apparently I've actually heard people say it is actually a lot of fun. It's very charming. Um, so these are, you know, very niche releases. Um, but I mean, there's something very cool about them getting a Blu-ray treatment and getting like a really nice Blu-ray treatment from American genre film archive and getting distributed through a part or they're partnered with vinegar syndrome somehow. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm always kind of somewhat interested in these releases. Yeah, uh, it's it's just kind of cool that you know these these infinitesimally small projects find a home somewhere. It's like sometimes you can find some hidden gems where it's like, oftentimes they'll be of that it's so stupid caliber where it's like this actually isn't good, but I'm enjoying it and there's novelty to it. Um, in fact, the the disc that you own of theirs, it sounded like that was kind of the case where um, some of the supplements on that sounded really really great, like the. Mm-hmm. Um, the convention or whatever <laughs> that sounded really funny. better than the movie the, the the twist they try and pull in the convention was amazing yeah I, I mean it seems like you have to know who you are to actually spend money on these kinds of things but you mm-hmm. know if you're in the right frame of mind i'm sure there's quite a few hidden gems that they have in their archive um, i'm not about to pony up the cash for this although if they distribute bone sickness someday if if they grab the license for bone sickness, I I will say it right now. You can hold me to it, Brad. I will buy bone sickness. It's not outside the realm of possibility. I'll say that. I mean, based on the film that, of yours that you own and uh, this jungle trap, uh, all seventy one minutes of it. So, <laughs> is that feature length? <laughs> it's like we're we're creeping up on it, maybe. But yeah, um, I would not be surprised at all if bone sickness found a home with them at some point. But, um. Another anime title that I will spotlight for just a second. I already went on and on and on about this multiple times on the podcast. Uh, 
Hajime no Ippo The Fighting. Uh, this would be the second box set collection. Uh, this is a boxing anime that is based on a manga that started in 1989. I've been reading it since fucking high school, and it continues to this day. Um, it's probably over like 2,000 chapters long by now. <laughs> it's kind of nuts. Um, anyway, this is a collection um, of the first television series of, of this anime. There have been, I think, three altogether. Uh, the first series ran about 75 episodes and based on the paragraph description on the on the back of the box for this one i think they're breaking up these box sets into 25 episodes a piece uh and this is i don't know if i'm ever going to buy these but i do have the entire the entire series on a bootleg dvd um but if i ever feel the need to upgrade if i'm ever feeling particularly nostalgic um as far as like anime recon recommendations, this one's like super high on my list. So maybe I'll pick this up someday. But um, we have <laughs> Shark's Treasure from 1975. And I, I'm not going to lie, there is some novelty in the fact that there exists a film by the name of A Pain in the Ass from <laughs> 1973. Uh, I wonder if anybody had any objections to that title in 1973. <laughs> <laughs> um, we have The Projectionist from... 2019 from goddamn kino is just like monopolizing this month it's kind of nuts but they put out um, a lot of stuff <laughs> also have a lot of stuff we have persona from uh 1966 which is part of the criterion collection is an i think that's film. been out before this must just be some sort of re-release or something okay um i i wouldn't know but i'll, I'll trust you brad you tend to follow these things closer than i do um we also have something that I kind of dig the cover for this, uh, The Widow uh, from Shout Factory. And based on the title under the title, this is probably from Russia or some other country that uses a Cyrillic alphabet. Um, so this is apparently a horror film from 2020 uh, distributed by Shout Factory. Not sure if it's any good. Haven't heard a thing about it, but the cover art's kind of cool. Um and I want to say, the, was the New York Ripper already out on Blu-ray from uh, Blue Underground? Definitely uh, it was out on 4K. I think it was out on Blu-ray as well, okay. but maybe okay. not. I Don't quote me on that. No, that, that, seems, to, that seems to fit their pattern. Um, I want to say they do that where they put out a 4K and then a Blu-ray a little bit later. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, because this cover art's very familiar to me. I've definitely seen it before. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's coming to Blu-ray uh, in case you want that instead of the 4K. Um, and for whatever reason, Falcon Rising um, is coming out on Blu-ray. This is from MVD Visual, which I think uh, MVD Entertainment, I want to say that MVD has multiple labels or something. Um, so these are the same people that are going to be putting out Drive in May as far as I know. So I'm already going to be buying that. Um, this is not one that I would buy, but I think it, the timing's interesting. That's 2014. This is a Michael Jai White movie that was originally out on DVD that, as far as I've heard, is not half bad. Um, I have been meaning to watch it for quite a while. Um, I, uh, I watched his uh, Blood and Bone movie not too long ago on DVD. That's only available on DVD at the moment. Mm. Um, and I think it shares some DNA with that one. But, yeah, I don't think I would buy this, but I do. It's kind of funny they would come out now of all times, uh, kind of similar <laughs> to I guess Raw, where it's like yeah. 2016. Wasn't that a 
a little while ago. <laughs> it's like, took your time, huh? Um, but yeah, I guess that's about it for the month. So uh, as we tend to do at the end of these episodes, uh, we're just going to do a wrap up here and point out any things that we might buy or rent or what have you. So I'll give Brad some time to collect his thoughts. Um, I'll go first. So just going to go backwards through the month. Um, like I said, I'm not going to buy um, Falcon Rising. I do like Michael Jai White quite a bit, but mm, not enough to buy that. Um, I very much would like to see another round, but probably going to rent that or wait till it comes to streaming of some sort. Um, <laughs> same goes for Wonder Woman 1984. I'm not paying a penny to watch that, but I <laughs> more than likely will subject myself to that at some point. Um, Cosmo Ball is a curiosity to me. Um, I'll wait to I'll wait for some word of mouth before I like rent it or something. Uh, Event Horizon, like I said, I should have bought by now. In fact, I think I had it in like an online shopping cart, probably at the Shout store, um, not too long ago, and I just forgot to click like buy. <laughs> so that's one that I probably will buy. Um, Godzilla 2014 on 4K. That's a Mm, that's a maybe um maybe if my my hype level for godzilla versus kong gets out of control i'll end up buying it just out of necessity where it's like but but i have another 4k disc i don't want it sandwiched between i don't i don't want a blu-ray to be the head of the pack i I need all three to be 4ks that's true (laughs) that's true yeah um taffin i'm not paying a penny to watch it but i i'm gonna try to keep that on my radar because i don't know pierce brosnan's very charming i'd like to see him in the 80s Psycho Gorman, I already got um, excited to watch it. Runaway Train is that's a big maybe. Uh, Russian Raid, that's also a big maybe. Um, I like you, John Paul Lie, but I'm not gonna buy 400 bullets. Uh, Stephen Kang's Sharks, <laughs> Sharks of the Corn. Uh, I just wanted to say that again. I'm I'm not gonna watch that. Not even rent it. Not even if it's free. Um, already have Crazy Samurai 400 versus one. Uh, also titled Crazy Musashi. Um, and I think I'd like to rent Monster Hunter or wait for streaming. So not too bad as as far as, you know, as far as release months go. But uh, how about you, Brad? What you got? I just want to say uh, last month I told you that I would be buying Mouse Hunt and Small Soldiers. Just want to give you the, the proof that I did purchase those two films. So I kept my word. So just a little, uh, little heads up there that I'm gonna I'm gonna be sticking to it with this month. So I don't want to go too overboard here. Um, I think I will be getting Event Horizon. Um, I, you know, it's the thing. It's like, should I wait for a sale or should I just just pop on it? I mean, I said I'm gonna buy it this month, so I guess I have to buy it before slipcase, our next episode. Brad. Slipcase. Yeah, you you get three months. You get three months. You're guaranteed for the okay. slipcase, and usually. It'll be longer than three months. Um, they just guarantee it for the first three. Uh, but let's let's say that. And uh, I think uh, I I might get. I think I'm gonna get the Ten Commandments. I mean, the 4K right now is it's only 19.96. Maybe it'll even go down a little bit more before uh, release date. I mean, that's a pretty good value for what is it like a four hour movie? I mean, you're getting you're getting a good bang for your buck on that one. Um, and I do want to see Psycho Goreman. I don't know if I'm going to actually purchase it, but I will be checking that out for sure. Okay. That's a, that's a solid haul. Um, 
yeah, Event Horizon and Ten Commandments. As those, those are your two. Those are the two. I'm I'm gonna say guaranteed buys. Guaranteed. Okay. Well, those those are both solid picks. I mean, let let me know how the Ten Commandments ends up looking because mm-hmm. I mean that's one of those releases where it's like. If you're gonna put this out, you better fucking take it serious. Yeah, um, it's like it's like when the when they did uh, any of the St- like Stanley Kubrick movies, where it's like, Are you sure you want to do that? It's like you're really gonna have to try. <laughs> it's like you know, Mill Creek's right over there. They may they may put in a bid. <laughs> but speaking of Mill Creek, ten bucks. Do I want to spend ten bucks on a on a stop for my mom will shoot with a shitty cover <laughs> it is cheap it is cheap i don't but it is cheap and i know it's bad <laughs> so, like how could this go wrong <laughs> uh well i guess that's about it for uh march 2021 um but before we go brad do you want to let the lovely f- folks listening in uh know how they could find you and your podcast yeah, for sure. Uh, uh, my podcast is called the Cinema Speak Podcast. So just search for Cinema Speak wherever you listen to podcasts. Um, we're on Twitter at the Cinema Speak or on Instagram Cinema Speak Podcast. And then if you just want to go on our website and listen to us, it's cinemaspeak.libsyn.com. Very nice, nicely done there. Um, but if you'd like to catch up on any of our catching up on cinema content um, you can find all of that collected on our website at catchinguponcinema.com uh, we also have a couple social media accounts in the form of an instagram at catching up on cinema as well as a twitter at catching cinema so feel free to hit me up there if you have any questions comments or concerns uh, and the show is available on pretty much any podcasting platform you can imagine so fucking google it uh, that being said uh, thank you so much Brad for joining me and thank you so much folks at home for listening and we will catch you next time